I think, of September 2005. <clears throat> Welcome to the Heathen School at Justin, Texas. Praise the Lord. Y'all come on in. We're coming in. We're getting ready here shortly. We're going to start here in just a couple of minutes. <clears throat> Wonder while we're waiting for people, a couple more people to come in and get seated and everything. <clears throat> I'll just tell you that the more you study the Word, the more you realize what Jesus done for you on that cross. It's amazing how I could have been in church so many years and really didn't know what the King did for me on the cross. But praise the Lord. I am learning. You know, so glory to God. Anyway, are we ready, Philip, and everything? We got everything ready and set? And yes, I've turned off my phone, so I'm in good shape. Praise the Lord. Anybody else that has a cell phone, I might ask you, you know, to turn it off. Put it on silent, vibrate or something. Because you know how those little fellers are. They go off at the most inopportune time. <coughs> so anyway, yeah, I have to turn mine off. I try to think about that uh, every time when I walk into church. And, uh, because if I don't, I know what would happen. Somebody would call. If I left it off, nobody ever calls. But if I leave it on, somebody calls. Many times that does happen. So, anyway, let's get started. Today is uh, September the 24th, 2005, the Healing School at Justin, Texas. So we're going to talk about what the Word of God says today, what what rightfully belongs to us as Christians, and what we have in the New Covenant, some of these mighty promises that Christ paid the price for 2,000 years ago. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you and praise you, Lord, for the privilege one more time to sit down and open your word and study it and read it and see your great and awesome promises. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit today lives in us and he reveals the word of God to us and no scriptures of private interpretation, but only as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that he's in us. He lives with us. And he teaches us and trains us when we read and study the word. Father, help us today as we read the word. Reveal to us by the Spirit the truth that's in this book. Open our understanding. Increase our knowledge, our wisdom. Give us revelation from the word so that we will understand who we are and what we have as sons and daughters of God. Lord, I thank you for the mighty word of the living God, and I want to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now then, I guess to start off today, I'd just like to ask, we usually do this, does anybody have a praise report uh, that something mighty that the Lord did for you? If you have a praise report, I'd love for you to come up and tell us what God did for you. Anybody have one? Nobody has one. Okay, wow. Well, well, somebody has one? Oh, you have one, brother? Come up here and we'll let you tell us what Jesus done for you. All right. Tell us what your name is. And... My name is Randy. I'm a uh, to the Sons of Thunder Motorcycle Ministry and uh 
attend church at the upper room with, under Pastor J.C. And uh, I don't know where to start with what the Lord's done for me. He's done so much in my life, but uh, I'm most thankful that he one died on the cross for my sins, uh, even though I was very unworthy. Uh, but I've been praying for some time. I've been separated from my family and uh, praying for my my family's salvation so we could rebuild our family again and uh, a couple weeks ago uh, the Lord uh, came into my brother's heart he was 47 years old and he finally accepted the Lord Amen and uh, we, I prayed for a long time for that and uh, he's in the process now the Lord is in the process now of, of healing me from my epilepsy Amen. I trust that he's going to do that in his time. Amen. So Praise God. I love the Lord and thank the Lord for that. Amen. Praise the Lord, brother. Glory to God. <clears throat> I want to, while you're saying about healing you of your epilepsy, I want you to know that all sickness and disease is caused by evil spirits. And these evil spirits, as we, we even have many examples, even of epilepsy in the Word of God, where those demons have taken con- complete control of a body. And when they do, you can't do anything. And there's examples, several of them, in the Word of God where those demonic spirits of epilepsy took control. But Jesus commanded those demons to leave. And the boy was delivered. And he was set free. So you need to realize that when the Lord says, when we can do not only the same things he did, but greater things than these that he did can we do in his name. And he told us that in John 14, 12. So if we can do those kind of things, then all we need to do is take authority once we become Christians. What we need to do, after our sins are all remitted, they're all put under the blood when we become a born-again child of God. If we have a spirit of any kind that's there, all you need to do is get forceful with that spirit. The Lord has already healed you. He's not going to heal you in the future. He already done it on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already a done deal. So what you have to do is drive that spirit out. And when you drive him out and he leaves, then you will receive the manifestation of your healing. But as far as God sees, he sees every one of us already healed. He sees every one of us already dead to sin. It's just unfortunate that, you know, we don't do what he said. So, as we go today... We're going to start off, first of all, and uh, I'm going to use a verse here that I'm going to, this statement that I'm going to make from one psalm, I'm going to go two places in the psalms to start off with, 119.89 and then 138.2, and I want us to read those two psalms, and I want to see what the Lord says here. In Psalms 138.2, I'll read that one first, I will worship toward Thy holy temple, and praise Thy name for Thy loving kindness, and for Thy truth. For Thou hast magnified Thy word above all Thy name. Now then, the word of God has been magnified above God's names. That's pretty awful. Awesome, isn't it? Pretty powerful. His name is the most powerful thing in the universe, we think. We, he tells us, you can take my name and you can ask anything in my name. 
I can't think of a name that you can ask anything in and it come to pass other than the name of Jesus. But see, we don't believe that when we read that. As sons and daughters of God, the Lord clearly told us as His children, He says, ask anything in my name and I will do it for you. Now, most of us don't believe that. Because if we did, we would act on these promises. When we demand in the name of Jesus a demon leave us and he doesn't leave, then you have to get forceful with him. You have to drive that demon out by force with the name of Jesus. And you can't be passive. It never works. Passivity never works in the kingdom. If you try to say, Mr. Demon, will you please leave me? Let me tell you. He's not going to go nowhere. He is not a gentleman. He is a beast. And he has no love and no compassion. This is something that as we study the Word of God, you've got to get into your spirit. The devil is not a gentleman. He is a beast. And he has three goals. To steal, kill, and to destroy. And he's doing a pretty good job right now. The devil is doing a pretty good job of stealing, killing, and destroying. I look at the death and destruction that goes on in the world every day and to think, who's behind all of that? The prince of the power of the air, the devil. Isn't that amazing? But yet God has given his church dominion and power and authority over the devil. But it's like we don't believe it. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about when the Lord says we are to walk in perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Let me ask you a question, especially you ladies. How many of you ladies, if you woke up in the middle of the night... And there was a man standing beside your bed. Think about what I'm telling you now. You woke up in the middle of your night. You locked every door in your house. You went to bed. And whether you're married or not, whether you're single, whether you have a husband laying there in bed with you or not, it makes no difference. If you woke up and you opened your eyes and standing right beside the bed was a great big man, what would you do? Would you scream? Every one of you said yes. Every one of you. So see, y'all are normal women. You know. But you, you need to realize that you, as a daughter of the king, have been given all power and authority over everything on this earth. Whether it be a real man or whether it be a demon standing there, it makes no difference. Number one, if that man standing beside your bed come to harm you, whether it be a real man or a demon, technically speaking, is still a demon. Because the human being, if he's there, he's being controlled by a demonic spirit. A man that's controlled by God will not be in your house in the middle of the night, standing beside your bed. Y'all don't understand where I'm coming from. That kind of man is not going to do that. But if he is a man, that, that if a real man standing there, then he is controlled by a demon. Now then... By being controlled by a demon, I'll give you a little story to back up what I'm telling you. There was a lady a few years ago, and this was on the Dr. James Dodson's show, 
and her name was Margie Mayfield. Have anybody ever heard the testimony of Margie Mayfield? Okay, she had the entire book of Ephesians committed to memory. Now then, that's the first right thing the woman had done. She had memorized all six chapters of the book of Ephesians. Now then, I don't have all of the book of Ephesians committed to memory, but I got a whole bunch of it committed to memory. Not all of it, but a lot of it. So this woman, by having the entire book of Ephesians committed to memory, she comes out of a uh, Target or Walmart or whatever it was down in San Antonio, Texas, just before Christmas. I think it was in 1986. And she's walking up to her car, and all of a sudden she feels a gun barrel put in her back. And the man says, get in that car and sit down, scoot over on the right-hand side, put your hands under your thighs, and if you say one word, I'm going to blow your head off. Now then, how would you ladies respond? More than likely, you'd do what he said, right? Well, this woman got in, scooted across the car, and he got in beside her with a gun in his hand, and she reaches over and puts her hands on his shoulder, and she said, Mr., you're not in control here. I'm in control in the name of Jesus. Now, how many of you women would say something like that? See, she knew what she was dealing with. She knew she was dealing with a human being, but he had a demon in it and it was controlling him. Now, the man's name was Stephen, and he was the number one murderous and rapist in America at the time. Number one. He had brutally murdered and raped many young women. But she put her hand on his shoulder and told him, In the name of Jesus, I am in control here, not you. Now then, if Jesus gave the church all power and all authority over the devil, according to Luke 10, 19, and 20, and said, The devil shall in no wise hurt you. Now, if Jesus made that statement, do you think he meant that? So if he did, if he meant that, then if Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons, all power is given to you over him, he shall in no wise hurt you, Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject to you. But rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Now, how many people in the church know that verse? Not very many. And how many in the church believe it when they read it? Even far less. They read it, but it's not become a revelation to you. You've locked it in your head, but it's never made the little trip into your spirit. But whenever your spirit man becomes fully aware that the devil has been totally, totally disarmed and he has absolutely no power over you whatsoever, only deception and bluff, and you have all power over him. And this young woman, Margie Mayfield, she knew that. And so when she put her hand on his shoulder and told him, he's not in control, there she is, in the name of Jesus. And he looked over at her and said, woman, I ain't never seen a woman like you. Well, that's absolutely right. He'd never seen a woman like her. She began to tell him about Jesus. So he began to listen. She has a captive audience. They're driving down the road together. He's driving her car. He's got a gun. She has nothing but Jesus. Well, I can't think of nothing I'd rather have than Jesus, can you? And she knew who he was. And she knew who she was in Christ. And so she began to tell him about Jesus. And as she went on through the day telling him about Jesus and everything... She was walking in total fearlessness. 
As a couple of times things happened, she said, I would feel that fear trying to overcome me. And I'd say, no, in the name of Jesus, I will not let this fear overcome me. Perfect love cast out fear. So I'm walking in perfect love. I have nothing to fear in the name of Jesus. So as the day goes on, this man takes her all over San Antonio, different places. He goes into places to drive through to get something to eat. She pays for it and everything because he don't have no money. Everything. And then the cops, they're listening to the radio, and there's cops all over the city trying to find this guy. They know he's down there somewhere. And so she tells him a way to go that will, will get out of the way. And as they go down there, she says, you know, Stephen, what you really need is Jesus. Jesus will forgive you. He'll set you free. I mean, you are controlled by the enemy, and you need to let Jesus be Lord of your life. And all this woman is doing is talking to this murderer and rapist about Jesus. I think, what a woman. What a woman. But she knew the Word of God. She knew her dominion. She knew her power. And up way on up in the day, they're driving down the road and she's telling Stephen, Stephen, Jesus loves you so much. He said, do you have a son? He said, yes, I do. He said, do you love him? She, he said, yes, I do. He said, well, Jesus loves you far more than you love your son. She had all the right words but from the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, Stephen pulls off to the side of the road, opens the gun, pulls all the bullets out, hands her the bullets and the gun, and holds his hands up and said, Lord, I surrender. And she said, what happened? She said, the Lord spoke to me. I heard a voice. And he said, Stephen, this is your last chance. If you don't do what my daughter has told you today, this is your last chance. Today you will be killed and you will die and go to hell forever. That's pretty awesome to hear God tell you that, isn't it? You think he was in the car with that young lady and, her, and that devil? Yes, he was. And so Stephen threw up his hands, surrendered, accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then she took him to a bus terminal. He turned himself in. The police couldn't believe they could apprehend this number one murderous and rapist without a shot fired or anything. He just freely walked in. He went to prison, and I think it was Huntsville, where I think that's where he went. And, of course, they give him the death sentence. But he was down there for several months, maybe a year or two, whatever it was, and he was one of the best prisoners that they had ever had. The warden said, I can't believe we've got to kill this guy. Now, what happened to Stephen to change him totally from a number one murderous and rapist to a very good man. He became a new creature in Christ. So the old man died, and the new man took control. And so as he studied the Word over the next year or two, whatever it was, period of time, then he's going to go down that walk and be electrocuted or whatever they done to him. They killed him. He made the statement. He said, the devil's working on him. said, you were a fool. Now you're fixing to die. You should have never turned yourself in. He said, Lord, this all seems so foreign. He said, if, if this really is real, and you're really my Lord and Savior, and I'm really going to heaven when I die in a little while, would you let me see that woman just one more time that was in that car with me? And... A woman drove over to Margie's house and said, I understand Stephen's going to die in the lecture chair tomorrow. Let's go down and see him before he dies. She said, oh, I could never go down there and see him. She said, I feel like the Lord's leading me to tell you to come down there. 
And so she said, I got in the car and we drove down there. And so we were standing at the end of the corridor when he come down that glass corridor and he looked and he saw that woman standing there. That was the answer to his prayer. He knew he was fixing to die, but he went to that chair with no problem, knowing that in a few minutes he was going to be in the arms of a Savior that had come and paid a price to wash him clean as snow. Although he'd killed and raped and brutally murdered all those women, when he got saved, all of his sins were washed away by the blood. Everything was forgiven. And now then, he's fixing to step into the presence of an eternal God. And he's going to be just as clean as you and me. The blood of Jesus is very powerful. We don't really realize what it does. We have a real hard time believing that that man could be just as clean as you are. But he was made, the minute he accepted Jesus, clean and pure. Well, see, the Word tells us all these things. But not only, and, and most, of us, most of us can believe that. But what we have a problem believing that at the same exact time that Jesus died on that cross to pour out his blood for the remission of your sins, just a little bit before that, actually, he was beaten at the whipping post and his body was beaten and bruised for your healing. He bore your pain and he bore your healing before he died on the cross. So it takes a lot of reading and studying in God's Word to come to the point where you know that he defeated the devil for you 2,000 years ago. He's not going to defeat the devil for you. He's already defeated the devil for you. He's already stripped the devil of all of his power and armament. And he's already given you all power over the devil. And he's already saved every human being on the face of the earth. And already healed every human being on the face of the earth. Every one of us. Well, then what's the problem? The problem is a lack of knowledge of the word. Just think. Somewhere in the neighborhood, probably in the high 90s right now, if I were to go out there, I think about this mass exodus from Houston. I mean, coming up, I mean, people. There, that's about the number of people that lived in Houston that Moses brought out of Egypt. He brought them out on foot. How would you like to be in charge? One man bringing that mass of people with no telephones, no TVs, no megaphones, no nothing. How would you like to be in charge of that? So next time you think about Moses and the problems he has, you know, don't give him a hard time. He had a big, big job. But he brought that mass of people out. But look at the people they brought out that were sick and afflicted. Old people that couldn't walk. Weak. Had them in wheelchairs. And then that one bus burned up and killed all those older people. Because, but I thought to myself, when Moses brought the people out of Egypt... It says there was not one sick or feeble among them. Not one. Just think. I don't care how old you are. The king can renew your youth like the eagles daily. And those people got up and they walked and they walked across that desert to the land of promise. You know, they didn't ride in cars. They didn't have to worry about stopping at the gas station. You know, just think what it would take to water that bunch of people. You know. But Jesus put water out of the ground. It come out of a rock. And it wasn't just a little bitty river. 
I mean, it was a huge river flowing water. I mean, millions of gallons. Can you imagine what it would take if you were given the job? Say, all I want you to do is just walk down the interstate for 245 miles and just give everybody in every car just one bottle of water. Can you imagine what a job that would be? A, a pretty good-sized job, wouldn't it? Just one bottle of water for every person? Hey, but Jesus had to water them all. But this word is forever settled in heaven. He, he has right here where he says in Psalms 138.2, He has magnified His word above all His names. Then when we go back to Psalms 119, 119, that's the longest psalm in the Bible, 119.89, it says, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. Forever. In other words, if he said it in this book, you don't have to worry about it being edited. It's not ever supposed to be changed. God put it there, and it's forever done. Now, anything you and I do today, any manuals or anything anybody writes, you come back six months later or a year later, and they've changed them. You know, I mean, I was in computers for a while, done a little bit of computer programming and some things, and I went to school to learn some of that kind of as a second, and it just never ceased to amaze me. You couldn't even get through the class. They had already edited some of these things and changed them. So, you know, it's amazing how we change things. But we don't get anything right. We have to edit it and do it over. But this book is right, and this book can never be changed. God can't say something one day, and tomorrow, change it for somebody else. And when you get a hold of that, that this word is forever settled in heaven, it cannot be broken. If he made a statement, it's done. Nobody can change it. It's done. Then you realize the fact that our final authority is the word of God. So, if this book is our final authority when it comes to healing and deliverance, and everything, prosperity, salvation, everything, why is it that so few Christians know anything about their owner's manual? Why do we not spend time reading it? Why would we go home and sit down and watch a talk show or, or whatever on television and read the newspaper or a magazine and never open this book? Well... That's what's wrong with the church today. That was what, that's what was wrong with me for many years of my life. Of course, I had another problem. Not only when I started reading the Bible, then I have to believe it, and then I have to act on it. If I have to believe it and act on it, if I miss any of those ingredients, the Word of God does not work for you. It does not work for you. Now then... Let's go to let's go to the right into Isaiah. Uh, I've got a, a scripture here I want you to see, in Isaiah 55, 55 verse 11. Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth; it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing wherewith I sent it. His word is what you have to know. 
Before I learned the Word of God, I virtually never saw an answer to prayer. Although I'd been in church, I was walking, what I would say, obedient to God's Word. I never got off into the uh, secular world, you might say, as such. I really never got out there. I never smoked. I never drank. I didn't cuss. You know, I didn't run around with uh, women. Uh, I didn't do any of those stupid things that so much of the world does. I never done that. I walked in obedience to God's Word. Y'all come on in. Praise the Lord. Find you a seat somewhere. But still, I didn't see God do anything. I mean, just because I was walking in obedience to the Word doesn't mean I was walking in faith. So, I want us to see this new covenant. I think too much of the time, too much of the time, we still go back and we think about old covenant mentality. You know, it seems like we live under the old covenant. We study the old covenant to a degree, but we really need to study the new covenant. Because this is where everything belongs to you. Now, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 1. This is where we're going to start in this new covenant. Now, it's amazing how many years I was in church and didn't even know I had a covenant. Now, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing how that you can be in church reading the Word of God and not know that you have a new covenant. But Hebrews chapter 1, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 1. God who at sundry times and in various manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, When he said by himself, purged our sins, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When you think about what he says right there, how he used to speak to us. You know, he used to speak to us through the prophets and through angels and through different things. But God didn't really just come and talk to the individual. Very rarely did he, he's had a very, very small number of people that he spoke to back in those days. But today, he has spoken to us through his son. His son came here, which was the express image of the father, and he came and showed us and gave us an example of who we are and what we can do as sons of God. He said he was a son, and we're sons. And he even goes so far to say you and I are brothers with Jesus. We're brothers. You know, when you begin to see yourself as a brother or a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that everything is yours, you will learn that what Jesus done is for you. And I'll give you an example. Just one Cheryl and I had just the other day. She came into me and she said, Honey, look at this thing on my chest. Right up here in her chest, she had a little growth. And, uh, and she knew that it was a form of skin cancer because other people in her family had had this. So as soon as she saw this thing come up, she come in and she said, Look at this thing. Well, now, 
if that's a little form of a skin cancer bump rising up right here on her chest, if Jesus bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross 2,000 years ago, then the king didn't plan for his church or his children to have any sickness and disease. Now, if Jesus didn't plan for us to have any sickness and disease, and all of a sudden she's got this growth on her chest, guess where this thing come from? The devil. It didn't come from God. It come from the devil. So if it came from the devil, which is definitely where it come from, and Jesus told us that we have been given by him all power and all authority over the devil, and the devil shall in no wise hurt us, do I need to pray for the healing of that? No. No. I don't need to pray for the healing of that. The healing's already done. What do I have to do? I want to put my hand on that thing. I said, you devil of hell. I said, you can't do this to my wife. I said, in the name of Jesus, she's a daughter of the king. I'm a son of the king. I said, now you beast of hell, you take that little skin cancer and you take that thing, go fly somewhere else with it. But you ain't staying in this house. I said, in the name of Jesus, get out. I quoted a couple of scriptures guaranteeing that I knew that I was a son of God, that I had power and authority over the devil. I never prayed for healing of that at all. And what do you think happened to that bump? It went away. Oh, God didn't put that bump on her. The devil put that bump on her. He's our enemy. You've got to get a hold of the fact that Jesus in this new covenant has forgiven us of all of our sins and he's defeated the devil for us and given us all power over the devil. Now then, if he's given you all power over the devil, then how much power does the devil have? None, technically. Now then, so he comes by and puts a symptom upon you. You think he loves to do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, he comes in and he puts a pain on you, or he puts a symptom on you, or he puts a growth on you. I mean, I can think of uh, one of the men that works with us in the ministry. He come to the, when he first started coming to our church, he come on and he said, Thurman, I've got a growth on my leg, a tumor. And the guy was in his early 50s. He said, I've got a tumor on my leg. He said, I'm a doctor. And I took it off once already, but said it came back. He said, it don't take me long to cut that thing open and take it off and put a couple stitches in it. But he said, I want God to take it off for me. I said, okay. So I prayed and rebuked the devil. I actually asked the Lord to take the thing off. And six weeks later, he came back. When he came back, I said, well, what happened to the growth on your leg? He said, it went away. I said, well, how did it go away? He said, it went away this week. I said, what did you do? He said, well, first of all, he said, it's been raining so much. This has been last year. He said, it's been raining so much, my lot's so muddy. One of my big bulls, I got to fighting with another bull, and he got his leg down in that mud, and one hit him on the side, and it broke his leg. So he said, that one of them high-dollar bulls is now hamburger meat. He said, you know... And he said, I knew that was a devil. Who is it comes to kill, steal, and to destroy? The devil. He's the one that's involved in all these things that destroying things on this earth. So, he finally went out there and got the bulls separated, got a tractor, got him out of the lot, and got him over where they could take him down to the locker plant and kill him. Now then, a bull that was worth a lot of money is worth hamburger meat. That's all he's worth. So, he comes in to take a shower. He said, I'm muddy all over. I'm mad. I'm hot. 
He said, I stripped my clothes off and I was telling devil, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, I command you to get off my ranch. You know, he said, you're messing with my stock and I command you to get out in the name of Jesus. And he said, I looked down and there's that big old tumor on my leg. And I said, you beast of hell, you take that thing off too in the name of Jesus. He went in and took a shower and came out and it was gone. Now see, you get forceful with the beast. If you've been given all power over the devil and Jesus, when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, if he heals you on the cross 2,000 years ago, then everybody keeps saying, I am trusting Jesus to heal me. But guess what? As long as you're trusting him to heal you, you will never get well. That's just like Judy, when I went to Corpus Christi in 98 or 9, whenever it was. Here's a beautiful woman that weighs about 80 pounds that's had breast cancer for two years on her deathbed, and the doctor says she's going to die this week. Two years. They're Baptist. They were in church. She called a friend of hers here in Justin that went to my Sunday school class here when I was teaching in the Baptist church and told her goodbye. Said, I went to the doctor today. It was Thursday. Said, I've been to the doctor this morning, and the doctor says, I won't be here in another week. So I just want to tell you, I love you, and bye. Hung up the phone. The woman here called me and said, Thurman, this good friend of mine named Judy, lives in Corpus, said, if I buy you an airplane ticket, will you go to Corpus and pray for her? I said, sure. So Saturday morning, I get up at 5 o'clock. I go to Houston, change planes, go to Corpus. Her husband picks me up at 10.20 in the morning, takes me to their little apartment. And I go up there and sit down. And this woman is so weak and so frail. It had taken her three hours that morning to get up out of bed and put some clothes on so she could sit in a chair where I could minister to her. That's how weak she was. Maybe she weighed 80 pounds. Eat up. The cancer was already even coming out spots in her head. I walked in there and she says, I'm trusting God to heal me. I said, ma'am, if you're trusting God to heal you, you've missed it. I said, I'm going to prove to you today beyond a shadow of a doubt where Jesus has already healed you. I'm going to show you this is a devil that's doing this to you. And I'm going to show you that we have power over the devil and we're going to cast him out of you in the name of Jesus. So for five hours, I sat there with that couple and talked to that one couple about the Word of God. For five hours, I showed them all these things. At the end of that day, I looked up at my watch and I said, Oh goodness, Judy. I said, i only got an hour to be on my airplane. I sure do need to be on it. I said, have you heard enough of God's Word to be healed? Now this little 50-something-year-old, 53 or 4 or 5, whatever she was, woman looked over at me, a Baptist woman, and she looked over at me with fire in her eyes and said, you come over here and cast this devil of hell out of me and I'm going to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. I went over there and put some oil on her forehead and I said, you devil of hell, you've lost this woman. This woman now knows she's a daughter of the king. She now has learned today that Jesus Christ healed her 2,000 years ago. And this is you in here and she's repented of every sin. And so we're kicking you out and forcing you out now in the name of Jesus. I said, you will go and leave and you will not come back in the name of Jesus. I said, you're healed. These devils are gone. She said, I am healed. She said, I'm getting up. I'm going to go with my husband to take you to the airplane. I said, okay, come on. She walks down those stairs. We go get in the car. She's a little weak. 
You know, because he's had this breast cancer for two years. She hadn't had a bite of food to eat in over three weeks. She's got colon, she's got big tumors in her colon, and she can't eat. No food can pass through her body. Those are all demons. We get down to the airport, and I said, well, I appreciate y'all bringing him here. I said, i got to run. I said, I'll see y'all. Give me a call with your praise report. She said, no, we're going to walk you to the gate. I said, Judy, you're probably weak. She said, I'm strong. Jesus is my strength. She said, I'm healed. Praise God. That woman gets out of the car with her husband. They walk me all the way to the end of the terminal. And they watch me get on that airplane and leave. Then they walk all the way back to the car. And she said, Don, I hadn't had a bite of food to eat in three weeks. She said, right down there is the best fried shrimp place in town. Stop there. I'm going to have dinner today. Jesus has already healed me. Now, that's that woman's faith talking. She drove in there, her and her husband. She had a beautiful shrimp dinner. Sunday morning, she called me first thing and said, Praise God, Dermot. We, after we got back to the airport last night, I stopped and had a fried shrimp dinner. And I got up this morning and she said, Everything in my body worked perfect. You know what that means, don't you? Everything. Her bowels and everything were working perfect. She said, Praise God, I'm healed. That woman, with, by Tuesday, was walking two miles a day. Within another week, she was getting her strength back. Within six months, that woman was back up to about 120 or 30 pounds, and she was a beautiful woman, just on fire for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What made the difference? She had believed what the doctor said. But when she believed what Dr. Jesus said, she got healed. Isn't that amazing? When you learn, when you learn that Jesus has already done it for you, he done it 2,000 years ago. All you have to do today to get healed, and I want to prove all these things to you today. All you've got to do is repent. If you sin since you got saved, which you're not supposed to, but everybody has, unfortunately, because we don't know what we're supposed to do when we get saved. When we get saved, we're supposed to become new creatures. And when we become, according to 2 Corinthians 5, when we become new creatures, the old man's supposed to die. So when the Lord translates us from the kingdom of hell and delivers us over here and puts us in the kingdom of heaven, there's no sin, there's no sickness, no disease over here in his camp. But it's like we don't want to stay over here. You know, he gets us and picks us up and puts us over and power washes us with his blood and makes us brand new and puts a white gown on us. And the first thing we want to do is go traipsing back over into the devil's world. You know, and when we go back over into the devil's world, that's where sickness and disease is at. That's where pain and suffering is at. You want to go right back to listening to your old somebody done somebody wrong songs. You want to go right back to listening to your old whatever pornography you was watching on television. You know, you want to go back to watching the same stupid things that you used to do all the time when you lived in the world. But you're not, you're supposed to have nothing to do with the world now. That's just supposed to go away. You're supposed to walk holy before God. So, when you learn that, when you walk holy before God, over here on this side, the devils can't touch you. They cannot make you sick. They cannot afflict you. They can only do this when you step back over in their world. So, when you're over there and you do something wrong and these snakes bite you over there, these demons, then you have to repent, come out of their world, come back over into God's world, and then you have to drive out the demons. Because the demons get in you when you're out in the devil's world. When this picture becomes a reality to you, you'll be able to do exactly what I did for Judy. You'll drive out those demons. 
Now then, praying the prayer of faith. When you're walking in obedience to God's Word, you won't have that fear. In fact, I had an attack from the enemy two times in the last two months. And it's both times it's been on my left leg. I mean, the other night, just a, a month or so ago, six weeks now, whatever it was, I come home from church. We had a great day. We taught the Word of God. We prayed for the sick. We saw the Lord do great and mighty things. And we come home, and I sat down at my computer 11 o'clock Sunday night to read emails. Because a Sunday is normally starts early for us and winds up at uh, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, Monday morning. That's a normal Sunday for me. So I'm out there at 11 o'clock reading emails after we get home from church. And all of a sudden, my left leg begins to burn like a, I've been stung with a bunch of ants or something. I don't know what's wrong with it. So I pull my britches leg up, pull my boot off, pull my sock down. And for about 8 or 10 inches up and down my leg all the way around, it is absolutely blood red with big red blood blisters all over it. It looks like if you touch one, it just start bleeding like crazy. Now then, what are you going to do when you see something like that? What are you going to do? Are you going to panic? Can you call 911? Are you going to know that you're a son of God? Jesus has given you power over the devil. And all you've got to do is make sure you have no unconfessed sin and then rebuke the devil and command him to leave in the name of Jesus. Well, that's what I did. And I went back to reading my mails. After 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, I went across to the house and went to bed. The next morning, 7 or 8 o'clock, I woke up, and Cheryl got up to go to the bathroom when I woke up or something, and I said, by the way, honey, won't you have a look at my leg as you go by? She said, what's wrong with your leg? I said, well, last night I had an attack from the devil. I said, but I prayed over it. I rebuked the devil, asked the Lord to restore it after I drove the devil out. I said, just look at it and see what's happened. So she pulled a cover off my leg and looked down, and she just took a deep breath, and wow, she said, it looks awful. And guess what she did? Instead of running to the telephone and calling 911, she reached down and grabbed my leg with both hands and began to scream, You devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. See? Now that's what every woman wants to do anyway, drive the devil out of her husband. See? Because, you know, that's, isn't that right, young lady? Yeah, you want to drive the devil out of her. Well, she's driving him out. She's my mate. She's taking the word of God. She knows that this is a devil that's attacked me. And so she rebukes the devil. I call a friend of mine, which is a doctor that works with us all the time, and I told him, I said, I need you to pray for me. He said, what for? I said, well, I've had an attack from the enemy on my left leg. He said, what, what's, what's wrong with it? And I said, well, it kind of you know, looks all bloody and everything. He said, I'm coming over to look at it. I said, no, 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 all I need you to do is pray. He said, no, I'm coming looking at it. I said, well, okay, come on over. Come over and look at my leg. He said, this is very serious. He said, if you wasn't a man of faith, I'd have you in the hospital right now. But he said, I know you ain't going, are you? I said, no, absolutely not. I am not going. And he said, Thurman, this is a blood clot. He said, this could kill you. I said, I don't receive that curse in the name of Jesus. Nothing, when you have perfect love, perfect love casts out all fear. You have no fear of what the enemy put on. You don't go by what you see, because that's the enemy. Well, we begin to pray over that. We begin to rebuke the devil and everything. And it took almost three or four days for all that to go away. And then my leg got normal again. Well, then about four days ago, the beast did it again. You know, all of a sudden my leg began to burn. I looked down there and the same thing. And so I began to rebuke the devil. 
And my doctor friend told me, he said, you need to take some vitamins. He said, you need to clean, cleanse out and wash out your body. I said, well, I don't have a problem with taking vitamins. I said, as long as they're all natural stuff. He said, I can tell you exactly what to take, some vitamin E and some so forth. He said, but you need to cleanse and flush out your body. I said, okay, I don't have a problem with flushing out my temple. You know, everything needs to be swept out. Your house needs to be swept out once in a while, doesn't it? If you don't sweep your house out at home, it gets to looking pretty cruddy, doesn't it? You have to dust. You have to do all kinds of things. And if you don't, your house can get to be very cruddy. So this, our house, I've learned that we have to do things to it too. So I started taking the vitamin E and the stuff, all the stuff he told me to take. And he said, normally, at, at your age, you should take, you know, one of these every day, just regular. But he said, since you've got the problem you got, I want you to take four of them four times a day. I said, can I overdose on something like that? He said, no, natural medicine, you can't overdose on it. So he said, there's no problem. But said, it will cleanse and purify your body. Well, I began to pray over it, continue to rebuke the devil. He said, we know this is an attack from the devil. But he said, God has given us these vitamins and things that will cleanse out your body to help this. So I took the vitamins and all that stuff, and today my leg's not normal again. You know, But that's what you have to do. You have to stand on the Word. You have to realize who it is that's attacking you. It's the devil. And you don't panic when something happens. In fact, just to tell you how serious this was, this doctor friend of mine's wife, that night, she woke up in the middle of the night and she saw a death spirit standing in her room. And he told me, called me the next morning and said, Thurman, this is more serious than you think. The devil is trying to kill you. I said, well, that doesn't surprise me at all. He said, my wife saw a death spirit in our room last night. I said, well, I guess now that your wife saw one, I'll tell you what my wife saw this morning. I said, this morning, Monday morning, last Monday morning, at 4 o'clock in the morning, she was laying there in the bed sound asleep. I kind of turned over gently, and I was a little warm, so I took the cover off of me a little, and I pulled my hand out from under it. And I thought I'll move it real gentle when I uncover myself because I don't want to wake up my wife. So I gently moved the cover down and laid my hand on top. And just as I laid my hand on top, Cheryl screamed. I mean, just screamed. And I mean, she was screaming and she was dog paddling backwards and she just run over me. I mean, she just come right up, I mean, right up in me. I mean, you know, she was coming backwards. I said, honey, honey, are you having a dream? What's wrong with you? She said, there's a black man standing right beside the bed. Now, when you wake up in the morning, that's why I asked you, what would you do? If you woke up and you saw a big man from Africa, dressed like African stuff, standing beside your bed, right beside your bed, you're looking right at him, what would you do? More than likely, you'd do the same thing she did. More than likely. So I began to rebuke the spirits. I cleansed and purified the house. I said, every devil of hell in this place, you've got to go away. Now then I realize that not only did the Lord let his wife see a death spirit, but that beast was in our room too. He come to try to get me. But I'm telling you, I'm not ready to go yet. You know, I'm not ready to go, and I'm not going to go until I'm ready. Jesus has given me power and authority over the spirits. He said, life is yours and death is yours. And I will satisfy you with long life. Well, I'm not satisfied yet. 
So I'm going to live a long, healthy life. But you have to learn how to talk. And you have to learn this new covenant. Now then, I want us to go to Hebrews 8, 6. This new covenant, how the Lord has spoken to us in these last times by His Son. Anytime you want to hear God's voice, all you've got to do is open the New Testament, or any, the Word of God, and read it. And you can hear God's voice. Because this is His words. And right now, we're hearing God speak to us. Now, Hebrews 8, verse 6, it says, But now hath He obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also He is a mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. Now, the old covenant was a pretty good covenant. But the new covenant is far better. Far better. It says, I don't have time to go into detail with this, but if you haven't read the details of your new covenant, you need to read all of Hebrews 8 and 9 and 10. 8 and 9 and 10 to learn about this new covenant. Now, under the old covenant, under the old covenant, these were the promises that God made you. I want you to turn with me back to Exodus 15. And I want to show you, I want just a couple of places, what was under the old covenant. Exodus 15. Exodus chapter 15. Okay, we get to Exodus 15. We go to verse 26. Exodus 15, 26. Now listen to this covenant. This is a promise from God under the old covenant which was sealed in the blood of animals. And said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth you. So if you're under the old covenant, if you're obedient, to keep all of His commandments and His statutes, how much sickness and disease will you have? How much? None. Now, does that say something to us today? We're supposed to have a better covenant, sealed in better promises. So then why do we have so much sickness and disease? The church has got a lot of sickness and disease. I mean, you go to any church. I went to churches all over, and I was one of those that was mixed in with it. I had sickness and disease. Now then, I want you to see. I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I want to show you the summary of the Abrahamic covenant. Just so you'll see what God provided under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting with verse 1. I'll give you just a minute to get there. Now, 
Now think about this covenant. And it shall come to pass. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? It shall come to pass. Well, what are the requirements, Lord? If. There's a big word. It shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently under the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all His commandments. Not part of them. All His commandments. Which I command you this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. Now then, how many of you think there's any blessings involved from last year till right now with what's happened from the East Coast all the way around Florida and right up the Gulf Coast all the way into Texas? You see any blessings in that? Everything looks to me like stealing, killing, and destroying, doesn't you? You know what that must say to us as Americans? That must mean that we're not anywhere close to keeping God's commandments. Not close, are we? Not even close. The other day when I was watching some of the news, it said in uh, Mississippi, one of the first things they want to get back in operation is the gambling casinos. To steal money from the people. And the state of Mississippi was very unhappy because they were losing a half a million dollars a day in taxes. A half a million a day in taxes. So if they're losing a half a million a day in taxes from those 14 casinos that one of the commentators said, I don't know if that's true or not, but said out of those, anyway, the number of casinos that were down there, every one of them was totally destroyed. Every one of them were totally destroyed. If they were getting a half a million a day in taxes off that place... How much money do you think they were getting from the people? Bunches. And the people, and a lot of those people are poor people. They're going there and give all they have, hoping they're going to hit something big. And then they don't even have money to feed their families. That sounds like the devil to me, doesn't it, you? Yeah, I believe it does. But, obviously, we are not doing what God says because He said, I will bless everything you do if you're obedient under the old covenant. Here we've got a new covenant, and look what's happening. The world is under judgment. And do you think the world... Has, let me ask this question. Some of you I know, I have watched a little news in the last few weeks with all this devastation. Until this, I virtually never turned a television set on. But lately I have watched some news. Has anybody ever seen anybody say, you know, this has got to be a judgment from God? We need to straighten our act up. We need to stop sinning. We need to repent and turn back to God. Have you heard anybody make that statement on television? I hadn't heard nobody. Not a single person. They're trying to explain away these events. Oh, well, this just happens once in a while. No. If you read this book, you'll find out that's not true. This book says, if you will do what I tell you to do and obey all my commandments, then all these blessings... All these blessings will, will come upon you and overtake you if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. Verse 2. Blessed shall you be in the city. You see any cities up and down the coast that's blessed lately? I mean, when, you, when I turn the television on, 
I mean, it's devastating to think about. I built a big building 30 years ago in New Orleans. And I think about today when I turn it on and all them levees, the water is houses, plumb up to the rooftops. And those levees are broke again. You know, they didn't even get, I mean, just think, the other day they said Katrina is a 100-year hurricane. We had never have an hurricane like this except maybe one every 100 years. And then three weeks later, we got a bigger one. Katrina was 175 miles an hour for a little while. And do you know Rita was 195 miles an hour for a little while? But, of course, it kind of went down a little. And I really think that's because so many Christians were praying. That's the only thing that saved America at all is so many of God's children were praying and asking Him to be merciful to the people that are walking in disobedience. And He's hearing our prayers. And He has slowed these things down. If it wasn't for that, can you imagine what would happen if a 195 mile an hour wind comes in? It would have wiped out everything. It would have blown down big buildings. They can't stand with that kind of a wind. But God says He'll bless us. He'll bless us in the city. He'll bless the fruit of your body. What is the fruit of your body? Your children. You won't have any handicapped children. You know, you won't have to worry about that. If you'll be obedient and serve God, your children will be normal. You know, they won't be mentally retarded. You know, they won't be physically impaired because the Word of God says they won't. It says you'll be blessed with your children. And the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle... Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against you one way and they will flee before you seven ways. I like that covenant, don't you? And that's under the old covenant. That's the old covenant that we have. And the only thing that was required to make it work was to walk in obedience to God's Word. And He would take all sickness and all disease away from you. I mean, He would bless everything you do. And then look at verse 8. The Lord shall command the blessings upon you in your storehouse. Command the blessings. Wow. You're not even going to have to be concerned about where your next meal is coming from. Money's going to come in. He's going to bless you. He's going to command the blessings to overtake you. All you've got to do is be obedient. Isn't that amazing? And he says, and in all that you set your hand to, and he shall bless you in the land which the Lord shall give you, the Lord shall establish you as a holy people. And verse 10, and all the people there shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord shall make you plenteous in goods, in the fruit of the body, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of the ground, in the land which the Lord swore unto you, And the Lord shall open unto his good treasure the heavens to give you rain unto thy land in your season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend unto many nations and you shall not borrow. How would you like to be living there? I like that, don't you? Well, what was required? Walk holy before him. That's under the old covenant. Walk holy before him. But he says if you don't, all these uh, curses will come upon you. Now then, let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's go over to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3. 
It took me a long, long time to get a hold of these things. I used to walk in just as much sickness and disease as anybody else. But I'm telling you, not anymore. Praise the King. Not anymore. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 is where we're going to start. And I want to, re- I want to read this to you. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat or solid food. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envyings and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? How many people you know in the church that has strife and all, all these things he's talking about? Envyings and divisions among them? Have you ever seen a church have a split? Isn't that amazing? Guess what? That church is very carnal. You know, there's not anybody there that uh, knows the Word that's willing even to listen to the Word. It never ceases to amaze me how we can take a subject that one of us know is wrong and we tell it to the church. And the church goes ahead and votes on doing something that you just told them is wrong. And you proved it to them. But yet they go ahead and do it anyway. This never ceases to amaze me, the carnality of us. But that's where we live. And Paul said the people at Corinth, that's the way they were. Well, we're going to have to get over that. We're going to have to stop having the strife and the envyings and all those things. We're going to have to start listening to the Word and believing what the Word says so we can have this solid meat of the Word of God and we can eat it. Now, think. When you bring your baby in, if you were to take a little child that's maybe they're six months old, I mean, they're doing really good. And they're six months old. But if you were to take a six-month-old child and give them a T-bone steak, and you cut a great big, even a quarter-inch piece or a half-inch by half-inch piece off and shoved it in their mouth, what do you think is going to happen to that child with that big piece of steak in his mouth? He's going to choke on it, isn't he? Because he can't chew it up because he don't have no teeth. But now you let him get a couple, two or three years old. Man, he can chow down on that piece of T-bone steak. He's got some grinders in there to grind it now. But he didn't have before. But that's exactly what's wrong with us in the church. We don't spend enough time in the Word. I didn't. Many years I didn't spend enough time in the Word. Then when I began to read these things, I thought, Wow, Lord, what's in this book? Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 from here. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and then we're going to start at verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Hebrews 5, 11. We're going to start there. Hebrews 5, 11. Of whom we have many things to say, and they're hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull or slow of hearing. Well, I think the church needs to get over this and start listening to what God's Word says. For when for the time 
you ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles or the word of God. And you'll become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now, how many people have I run into in my life that were just like I was years ago when I was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher, and I didn't know these things? And if somebody come in and begin to talk to me about Jesus being a healer, I think, wait a minute, you know, what's wrong? This, this guy, these one of them crazy Pentecostals or something, or what's wrong with him? You know, I mean, I've heard them kind of guys, they go over and they knock people down and they jump up and down on the pews and, you know, they, they throw their arms up in there. Them guys are crazy, you know. I don't want to do with them stupid guys. You know, I mean, I was carnal. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know that God, and you can't put Him in a box. He does all kinds of things. So, I mean, I didn't know. But I was one of those. I have need of milk and not of strong meat. Verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And that's where we are. I lived there for many, many a year. Verse 14, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Now, that don't mean anything. I may look at you and you may be 60 years old, but that don't mean you're not anything more than a babe in Christ. Some of you that are 60 years old or 70 years old, some of you have spent years reading and studying the Word. But some of you have virtually no knowledge of the Word of God in you. And I know people that are in church that are 40, 50, and 60 years old has been in church all their life when you can read them a verse out of God's Word and they'll tell you that don't mean what it says. I mean, you sit right there and tell them. I have sat beside pastors, unfortunately, and hear them preach a message and then go up to them and tell them, you know, sir, I really don't think God likes to be misquoted. And they, what do you mean? I said, well, let me read to you what the King James says right there in those verses that you preached. And I said, you know, you preach one verse, but you can't read one verse. You've got to read all of it. And if you do, he said, no, you're wrong. Well, okay. Okay. So, you know, sometimes they receive it, sometimes they don't. But all I'm saying is if it's said it in the Word, and the Word is forever settled in heaven, and it cannot be broken, and God exalted this Word above His name, I think He meant for us to read it all. Not just one or two verses. You can't build a doctrine around one verse. You know, you've got to read it all. Just like right here, it says, Strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I had a pastor from Canada call me this last week and said, Your teaching has so lit my fire. She said, I had no idea what sin was till I started listening to your teaching. She said, I, this is a woman. And she said, I am going to start in November. I am preparing to teach in my church what sin is. She said, I have never seen a man that walked where you've walked and seen the miracles and the healings you've seen. So she said, there's got to be something wrong with us. Amen. And it's sin. That's what it is. She said, it's sin. And we've got to get... She said, I have people in my church that I know are living together out of wedlock and I've never preached against it. How many of you know living together out of wedlock is sin? 
We all know that, don't we? But why do we let people do it? Why will people, a man and a woman, you see them in church. And you know they're not married. And you know they're living together. And you never say anything to them. You may talk about them behind their back, which is wrong. You know, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to go to them and say, look, do you know what you two are doing is wrong according to God's Word? And then be prepared to show them. The Word of God tells you to go and tell them this, that if you tell them and if they turn from their error of the truth, it will save them from death. Oh, if they don't turn from the error of death, guess what it's going to, it's going to, uh, their error of the way, guess what it's going to bring upon them? Sickness and disease. The devil's going to come to them. He's going to start tormenting them. And who knows, maybe one or both of them will come down with some kind of a sickness or a disease and they will die because of sin. They opened the door to the devil. Now then, if you see somebody is still in good health and you know they're sinning, your job is to go to them and tell them what God's Word says. Not to forget it, because God will hold you accountable if you know. And that can even bring sickness and disease upon you, because you didn't do what He told you to do. That's kind of scary too. But He says then in chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, leaving these principles, these are the simple things, Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrines of baptisms, and of the laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal life, and this we will do if God permits. Now then, how many people in the church are familiar with the baptisms? and the doctrines of Christ, and of the laying on of hands, and the rising of the dead. How many churches have you been a member of that they lay hands on the sick and they get well? Most people, I mean, I didn't even know it was available in the Baptist church. we never done that. I mean, so how could I possibly lay aside all this and go on to something that I don't even know these principles are here yet? Don't even know they're here. So I've got to do some learning. I've got to do some studying. So I get the Word of God out and think, Lord, wow, have I got some things to learn. Because that's where we live, right there. In these scriptures I read to you in 1 Corinthians 3 and in Hebrews 9, I'm Hebrews 5 and 6, that appears to be where the church is living today. We are not living in these mighty doctrines. Now, when you talk about the laying on of hands, let me tell you how simple God made this. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, Jesus made this statement. He said, well, verse 15, 14 and 15, first thing he says, now, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the first command he gave us just before he went back to heaven. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus, that He died on the cross for your sins. He bore your sickness, removed your disease, and gave you all power over the enemy. And now by His blood and by His power, you can die to self and live unto righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now then, if you don't know that, how are you going to teach that to somebody else? But if you'll learn that... 
Then he says, now go into the world and make disciples, teaching them all these things. So as you go and you teach people these things, and that young man back here uh, that came up here a while ago and gave his testimony, he said he started, once he got saved, he started praying for his family. Because when you get saved and realize what God has done for you, then you want all your family to be where you are. You know you've just experienced the best thing you've ever had. So he started doing that. So that's the first thing God told us to do. To go out, to pray for them, rebuke the devil, because he's the one blinded their minds, and begin to get in there and win our lost loved ones to Christ. Remembering the devil is the one that's blinding their mind. You know, kick that devil out in the name of Jesus. You want to see people get saved in a hurry? You get a hold of that tape over there, how to get a lost person saved. That tape or CD or DVD or whatever. It will teach you in detail how to get your lost loved one saved. I mean, after all, if 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 says, If there are any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. So if there are any lost, and they're lost because the God of this world blinded their mind to the gospel, if that's who's blinding their mind, and Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 says, All power is given to you over the devil, and he has to be subject to you, what, when you go to Hebrews 4.16 to the throne of grace, when you go to Hebrews 4.16 to the throne of grace, from there you have power over the enemy, you can rebuke him over your loved ones, you can command him to get his hands off of them, and then you can do what John 6.44 says, you can ask the Father in the name of Jesus to send the Holy Ghost to begin to convict your friend or loved one of sin and draw them into the kingdom of God and then claim their salvation. And then ask the Lord to send a proper labor into the harvest to bring that person in. And he will do it. When you learn that, you can get all kinds of people saved. But the first thing the Lord told us to do is go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then in verse 16, uh, 17 and 18, Jesus made this statement. After you're obedient, the doctrine of the laying on of hands and the power over the enemy, which we was talking about in Hebrews 5 and 6 there a while ago, he says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Okay, if you're a believer, then these signs are supposed to be following you. Jesus said, and these signs in Mark 16, verse 17, shall follow them that believe. I've come to realize that I was an unbelieving believer far too many years of my life as a Christian. Then one day I found out that Jesus said I could go lay hands on the sick and drive out devils. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, the name of Jesus, you shall drive out devils. That's good news, isn't it? Who's going to drive out the devils? Oh, I mean, why do people say, oh God, will you please do something to the devil? You know what happens when you do that? Nothing. You say, oh God, please do something to the devil. What did Jesus tell you? I defeated that beast for you 2,000 years ago. I whipped him on the cross. I totally, completely whipped him. I totally, completely disarmed him. And now I gave all this power and authority to you. Now you take my name and you drive the devil out. So, when a devil comes up on my wife the other day and puts that little cancer cell right there on her chest right there, what am I supposed to do? Oh God, please take that thing off. No. 
I don't have to pray about that. He's already given me power over that devil. He told me to drive that beast out. So I put my hand on her chest and I said, You devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, you can't stay. Get out of here. It is written. Get forceful with him. Kick him out. Slap him on the... Get out. Take that lump and get out of here in the name of Jesus. And he goes away. He says, Whoa. This guy knows who he is. I guess I better take my little cancer cells and get out of here. See, when you learn that you have that kind of power and that kind of authority, you don't go around begging and pleading with God to heal you no more. You make sure your sins are repented of, and if Jesus already bore your sickness on the cross 2,000 years ago, then you make sure every sin you've committed is repented of. Because see, and you know what the biggest sin in the church is today? Unbelief of the promises of God. That is the biggest sin. I mean, when I read this book, when I see what Jesus has given you and me as sons and daughters, this is absolutely, magnificently wonderful to think what He has done for us as His children. I mean, it's almost unbelievable. It's so good. But it is believable. So, as we go through some of these today, you're going to find out what what we can do. Now then, when Jesus said there in Mark 16, 17, and 18, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name you shall cast out devils. He said, you shall handle the serpent. Do you have any idea who the serpent is? It's the devil. It's not a snake. So don't go to one of these snake charmer churches. There's a few of them around. You know, they handle rattlesnakes. And every once in a while they get bit. Some of them die. So you don't do that. That's not what he's talking about. When you go to the Greek and check that out, you find out that serpent is the devil. It's not a snake that crawls on the ground. And he said, and you shall handle the serpent. And then he says, and if you drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt you. Now, what if you get something in your flesh that's poison? What if you get bit by a snake? What if you get bit by a poisonous spider? What if you take some food, get eat something that's got food poison on it? People panic when they think about this. There's a promise right there in the Word of God. Jesus said, no deadly poison shall hurt you. Did He say that? If you get any kind of deadly poison in you, if a snake bites you, a poisonous spider bites you, or you get stung by an ant, you get stung by a wasp, a yellow jacket, or any kind of an insect, that poison has come from the devil. And it comes to kill. But Jesus made you a promise in Mark 16, verse 18, that no deadly poison shall hurt you. Did he, young lady? Then what do we got to do? Stand on it. Believe it. That's absolutely right, brother. We got to believe it. Now, what if we don't believe it? Let me ask you this question. How many of you were to get bitten by a copperhead snake or a rattlesnake or a brown recluse spider or any of these kind of things or a black widow spider? If you got bit by one of those things, how many of you would be willing and know to recall that scripture, claim that scripture and say it's done and let's go ahead and do what we wanted to do today? How many of you got that kind of faith in the Word of God? You see what I'm talking about? Unbelief. Unbelief. 
We do not believe these promises. I mean, it takes, it takes something, doesn't it, young lady, to stand on God's Word. I mean, it really takes some faith to believe this book. But did Jesus say, no deadly poison shall hurt you? And then what's the next statement He said there? You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall do what? So why is it the church does not believe that? I mean, Jesus is the one who made that statement. When we, got, we ought to go to church. And if we walk in church and you walk up to somebody and say, Hi, sister, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm not doing too good. I know we never hear Christians say those kind of things, do we? Oh, my old back is hurting me today. Oh, my arthritis is you know, hurting me in my hand. Oh, I mean that my old arthritis pain. Oh, I'm de- I, I, had a, I had a crick in my neck last night and I didn't sleep at all. Oh, I'm hurting so bad. What do we do? Everything that person said is wrong. They don't have any idea what the Word of God says. And if you were to reach up and grab them and shake them one time, say, come out of them, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. Most Christians I know would panic. Right, ma'am? I mean, they would panic. You know, because, but they don't, see, they don't know the Word. I mean, did Jesus tell you to cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, and they get well? I mean, now, I wouldn't have faith to do that if I read that in some book I bought down here in the store. But since this is the Word of God and Jesus made these statements, i got faith to do that because I believe He'll back up what He said, don't you? So why is it the church don't believe these promises? Why? That's a very good question, isn't it? Very good question. Well, let's go a little further in here. If Jesus told us to do that, in fact, I might tell you right here what happened just last Sunday night. There was a man coming to my church last Sunday. And he stayed really late. He said, Thurman, I want you to go with me to a good friend of mine. The man is my boss that I work for. And he lives in Fort Worth and said he's having really, really lots of problems. And I said, is he a Christian? He said, well, he's a pretty good guy. I really don't think he goes to church. But anyway, he said, I want you to go and pray for him. I said, okay. So we drove way from over North Dallas, way over here in Fort Worth, to pray for a man I didn't know. Way back up in there in his house and found it. We walked in and here's a guy that was an ex-Vietnam vet. I was a Vietnam vet, but he was there 10 years after I was. So a big difference. He was a, about 13 years younger than me. And we walk in and here's this guy sitting there. He can't hardly see. He's had four laser surgeries recently. His uh, diabetes has caused a problem with the blood in the backs of his eyes. They're trying to get that out where he can see, but he can virtually not see. He can't drive a car. His eyes are all swelled. Uh, he's having serious problem with his legs. Can't hardly walk or anything. And he's had all kinds of uh, operations on his neck and his side and I don't know what all over the years. And he's only 53. 53 years old. I walked in and I, I said, Sir, are you a Christian? He said, Well, I was raised in a Catholic. Uh, church and said I went to Catholic school and said I memorized the Word of God forward and backward when I was in school. Well, that's an understatement. He memorized what they teach him in a Catholic church forward and backward, which is a very few scriptures. But he learned those well. But there's not any power in those. And so then as soon as he got out of high school, he went right back into the world. He really never had 
a really, really born-again experience. He had not walked with God. So, he said, I know I need to be in church, but I'm not in church. I said, well, sir, the Jesus we serve, he loves you so much. He said, freely he's given me this power. He told me freely to give it to you. You can't hardly be no simpler than that, can you? Jesus said, go and lay hands on the sick, drive out the devils, and they'll get well. Did he say that? I mean, if the king said that, brother, i got faith to believe him, don't you? So I just lovingly told him, I said, I want to lay my hands on you. I'm going to drive out these spirits in the name of Jesus. And then I'm going to ask the king to completely restore you according to his word. My part's easy. I laid my hands on him. I didn't scream or holler. I just commanded the spirits to leave and asked the Lord to be merciful to him and heal him. I said, the Lord, you convict him of sin after he's recovered. But right now, he just needs healing. And I said, you told me to drive out the spirits and lay hands on sick and they'll get well. So I said, thank you, Lord. I turned him loose and backed off and I said, I guarantee you, my Jesus will heal you. Did he make that promise? Now, I've got to believe this though, right? I mean, I can't doubt this. I can't say, well, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm going to lay my hands on you, but I'm not sure what he'll do. There's not any faith in that, is there, sister? No, if there's not any faith in what you do, guess what the king's not going to do for you? He's not going to heal him. Because he told you when you ask, you ask in faith, nothing wavering. I mean, after all, if you don't believe Jesus is big enough to do what he said he could do, we're in trouble. I'm trusting my soul to him. So I believe he can take care of everything else, don't you? So I just prayed for the guy. Rebuked the spirits and prayed for him. We stood there and talked to him a half hour. In about 15 minutes, he says, you know, I can see your wife and she's smiling. He said, I couldn't see that whenever y'all walked in here. He said, praise God. And by the time we left, he was, he said, my eyes are not burning. He hadn't had to close them. He said, wow. He said, my legs are feeling stronger. He said, now that y'all are fixing to go, I'm going to walk y'all out to the car. So he gets up and walks out and stands out there and talks to us another 30 minutes. Well, Monday morning, we got a call from him at the ministry center. This guy is so good. He can see so good. And he's so strong. He said, praise God, where's your church? I'm coming to your church next Sunday. When I see, when you go and just do what Jesus tells you to do, Jesus will do what he said he would do. See? Now, I just promised him that Jesus would heal him. See? Now, this power is given to you, but you've got to believe it. You've got to be walking in obedience to the Word. And only about a month ago, we had another very, very wonderful thing happen. That after church on Sunday afternoon, we went by to have a bite to eat. And we, while we were there, a, a friend of ours called Cheryl and talked to her on her phone and wanted to know if we'd fly to Salt Lake City, Utah, Monday morning and pray for a doctor. This guy had fell out of a tree 35 feet up and broke his back. And he's also in his 50s. And he's laying at home in excruciating pain with a broken back. I told him, sure. We'll be happy to come up there. So we, they made all the schedules and the airplane reservations and everything. And I told him, I said, now have him call me on my cell phone. I want to talk to him tonight. Y'all come in. I said, we're going to talk to him. I want to talk to him tonight before I come up there. So when he called, I didn't ask him, was he a Christian? 
I didn't ask him, did he go to church? I didn't ask him if he was sinning. I just asked him, did he believe God? And he said, yes, I believe in God. I said, okay. Now, you can't ever tell. When they say, I'm believing in God, you don't know what God they're believing in. So you don't really know. But I know which God I believe in. And it's the one of the Bible. So, Jesus made me a promise. He said in His Word, one of these great and awesome promises, Jesus said, Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24. Now, this is an awesome promise. Now, this will separate the men and women from the boys and girls. I'm telling you, this verse, when you see this promise under your new covenant, this new covenant, this promise belongs to you if you can grasp it. Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus said in verse 22, He says, If you have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now see, that's the first requirement. You must have faith in God's Word. You must believe it. Then He says, Have faith in God, and you can speak to a mountain. And you can command the mountain to be removed from here and cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, the mountain will obey you. He said, therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you shall have whatever you say. Under the new covenant, is that an awesome promise? What can you do with that promise under the new covenant? What are your limitations as a daughter of the king? Believe. No doubt in your heart. That's all. That's it. Like Cheryl said, nothing. You, he didn't give you any limitations. If you can believe, he said you can have whatever you say with your mouth if you believe it with your heart. Is that an awesome covenant? Why is it the church don't believe this covenant? Obviously, they don't know it. So I told the man, I said, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for you since you fell out of a tree and broke your back. I'm going to quote Mark 11:23, and then I'm going to ask the Father in the name of Jesus to completely heal your back, and I'm going to thank Him it's done. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, based around your word, Mark 11:23. What did Jesus say in Jeremiah 1:12? He said, I watch over my word to perform it. In Isaiah 55:11, a while ago, did He said He watches over His word to perform His word? Yes, He did. He watches over that word to perform it. So when I spoke the new covenant, Mark eleven twenty three, and I said, the king says I can have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart. So I said, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to completely do a miraculous healing on his back and do it right now for him in Jesus' name. I said, now, sir, I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king and his name is Jesus. That's a pretty awesome statement, isn't it? I guarantee... You'll get a supernatural healing from the king and his name is Jesus. Well, what did Jesus say I could have in Mark eleven twenty three under my new covenant? Whatever I say, if I don't doubt. Guess what the minute you say that, guess what the devil's going to say to you? You know what he's going to say to you? Oh, you fool. You don't really think God would do something wonderful like that and give you that kind of power? But he did, didn't he, brother? That's what's written. So I hung up the phone. I said, you're healed in the name of Jesus. I hung up the phone. Cheryl said, what do you think, honey? I said, he'll be healed before we get there. You hear any faith in any of that? 
We get home 15 minutes later, unloading the car, and my phone rings, and it's Dr. Geary from Salt Lake City, Utah, and he's screaming, I am already completely healed. My pain is all gone. I'm running up and down the steps. I'm carrying my 17-month-old son. He said, I have absolutely no pain in my body. And the next day, at about 1 or 1.30, whatever it was when we got there, he personally picked us up at the airplane, at the airport, took us to his home. We taught his people the Word of God. We taught more of them the Word that night. And then the next day we went and he introduced us to all kinds of business executives and doctors and everything else that works for him. He's probably got 700 people working for him up there. And then the next night we taught them the Word again of several people that worked with him and, and family and everything. And of course, the thing about it was, I found out he was a Mormon. Isn't that amazing? God would heal a Mormon? Does he love everybody? Yes, he does. He doesn't make any difference who you are. God will heal anybody if you will step out in faith. When you step out in faith, now then, they have a real problem in the Mormon church because they hadn't seen a miracle in the Mormon church in a hundred years. But they've seen an awesome one. And this guy is a big guy in the church. He is well known. In fact, his last name is Young, and his great-great-uncle was Brigham Young, which started was one of the members that started the Mormon church. But now then, he's received a tremendous miracle. But I told him, I said, the Jesus of the King James Bible is the one that healed you. And I flat sat there with him and told him, I said, now folks, I want to tell you that I know in your book it says that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. But I'm telling you that Jesus that healed you was never brothers to Lucifer. He made that beast. He made him. He created him. And I said, another thing your Bible teaches that the father was a man first, and when he became good enough, he became God. I said, now i got lots of faith, but I don't have that much faith. I said, there was God first, the father, and he has forever been and forever will be, and he will never change. And I said, he sent his son, but that's the only one that's ever come from heaven that's become a man. He sent his son. But see, when you speak in faith under this new covenant, what did the king say you can have? Anything. Why do we not believe him? Why do we not believe this? I mean, since I've learned these principles, when my honey bunny come to me the other day with that lump on her breast right there, right between... Uh, right here, right here in the middle of her chest, I had no problem. I just reached over and put my hand and said, "You devil of hell, you're out of here in the name of Jesus." When you learn who you are and what you can do in the name of Jesus, you learn who's attacking you. I mean, I mean, it don't make any difference in our family. It makes no difference. She wakes up one morning with a problem with her foot. First thing she does, honey, kick that foot over. Said, "Pray over it. Kick this devil out of me in the name of Jesus." My foot's hurting this morning. Kick it out. Just like me the other day. When I'm laying there, when she uncovered my leg, when she looked down and saw all that blood red on my leg, what it was, I mean, she just reached down there and grabbed that leg. She attacked that thing like a bulldog. I mean, just jumped out. You devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. You ain't going to do this to my husband. In the name of Jesus, we got power over you. See, when we get a hold of that, and you might do this, I mean, Jesus clearly said, did, or, or maybe your Bible read different than mine. Did Jesus say we can cast out devils and lay hands on the sick and they get well? Yes. So why in the world, if, the, if Jesus said that, 
Why don't we start doing that in our churches? If somebody comes up to you one morning and say, Hi, sir, how are you doing? Oh, my back sure is hurting today. I feel awful today. And, you know, oh, this I got. Oh, my arthritis is sure hurting me today. But I'm getting so old. I'm 48 years old now. Why don't you just reach up and grab them by the shoulders and shake them one time and say, You devil of hell, come out of this Christian. Go! According to the Word of God, in the name of Jesus. If you were to do that boldly, you'd probably shock everybody in your church. But you know what happened? The guy that had to pay his back, he said, Whoa! What happened? Wow! I don't have any pain in my back. and Whoa! My arthritis ain't bothering me no more. I don't have no pain in my hand. Then everybody else in church said, come over and say, would you cast this devil out of me too? See, when you begin to see it. But that's who our enemy is, the devil. Jesus defeated this beast for you and me 2,000 years ago. He set us free and gave us all power over this devil. And then He gave us this new wonderful covenant that now under the new covenant, whenever you come to Him and get saved, He washes you in His blood And He makes you no longer a servant, no longer a slave, no longer a friend, but we're children. Is there a difference between a slave and a servant, a friend and a child? All of you women sitting in the front row, some of you got children and grandchildren. You know you will do things for those children and them grandbabies you wouldn't do for nobody else in the world. You know, them grandbabies can run up to grandma's house and they can open the door and walk in. They don't have to knock or nothing. They come running back and say, Grandma, I'm hungry. I'm looking in your refrigerator and they're cleaning out your refrigerator and you don't say a thing. He said, come on, let me help you get what you want, right? You want to feed. You want to bless them. Well, see, that's the way we are as sons and daughters of God. You know, we're not slaves. We're not friends. We're children of the Most High God. And under this new covenant, everything that Jesus did on the cross belongs to you and me. Wow, that's what I say. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And when you, when you see that, when you see God do those wonderful things, and you begin to understand who you are and what He's done for you, you will stop letting the devil beat up on you. You'll stop going around begging and pleading, Oh God, I feel awful this morning. Lord, will you please heal me today? He says, no, I've already healed you on the cross. It's already a done deal. You drive that devil of hell out of you. In fact, let me give you an example before we take a break here at 3 o'clock. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I was just learning, beginning to realize the fact that when we sin, we open the door to the demonic world. Now, when we walk holy before God... These devils can't touch us. They're all around us, but they can't touch you. The Word of God clearly says that in Psalms 91 and in 1 John 5.18. Now, in 1 John 5.18, he says, My children do not sin. They keep themselves from evil, and therefore the evil one cannot touch you. That's 1 John 5.18. So, If you do not sin and you keep yourselves from evil and the evil one can't touch you, then what happens if you do sin? He can get you, right? Unfortunately. So the 
the ultimate goal of every Christian should be every morning when you wake up, no sin. No sin. I am not sinning today, Lord. I'm not going into strife. I'm not going into unbelief. I'm not going into none of these things. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to do what you say. So, that should be your goal. And then, of course, Psalms 91 clearly says in the first two, first two verses, if you will make him the Most High God your dwelling place, and you will say, the Lord is my strength, and he's my refuge, in him will I trust. You'll walk wholly before him. Then verse 3, he clearly says, I will rebuke the, you, the devil for you, is really what he says there. I will protect you from the snare of the fowler, which is the devil. But he says, I'm protecting you from the devil. But I had learned these principles and I was walking in divine health. And then I made a simple statement with my mouth, which was sin. Now, how easy is it to sin? Romans 14.23 says, Anything that you do that's not according to the Word of God, according to faith, is sin. So if you don't know what the Word of God says, I can guarantee you you will sin many times a day. It's too easy. Number one, as Christians, who are we supposed to trust as our provider? God. Who do most of us trust? Whoever we work for at the time. We don't trust God. We don't wake up this morning and say, Lord, thank you for my provisions. Thank you for my car. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my motorcycle. Thank you for my good health. We trust. If we go to a place of work, sometimes we'll even say, Oh, God, it's Monday morning and i got to go to work again. I hate this job. Oh, my goodness. How sad. From all that grumbling and complaining, I'm telling you, that's another reason so many things have happened to us lately. And there's a lot of people that used to grumble and complain that go to work would love to have a place to go to work. Because there's a many tens of thousands of them that ain't going to have a job. And so that's going to be a real nightmare in the future. That's not going to be over anytime soon. But I didn't, I realized, but I didn't realize the importance of walking totally, completely holy before God. And I didn't realize how important my confession was, my tongue. I didn't realize how important it was to pay attention to what I say. But now I've made some serious teachings on the power of the tongue. And if you haven't listened to those, you need to listen to them, either on CD, DVD, or cassette, or whatever. The tongue. I mean, the tongue is so important. Well, I was in divine health. And I made this statement with my tongue. A man walked in, handed me a piece of paper, said, have you read this? I said, well, I don't know. He handed it to me, and I looked at it. When I read it, it made a statement. If certain things were to happen within our corporation, they might have to close the engineering division. Well, I was in charge of the engineering division. I had a great job. I traveled all over the United States. I loved what I did. I worked directly for a VP. I had an office here in Dallas, and I went where I wanted to when I wanted to and done what I wanted to. And I had a good job. All I do is keep the region going. It was great. I loved it. But when I made that statement, if they close the engineering division, I wonder what would happen to me. I sinned because I verbally voiced with my tongue that I was trusting my company instead of God. I should have looked at it and said, well, no problem, God. If this thing closes, you're still going to take care of me because I don't work for them. I work for you. That's what I should have said. But I didn't. So when I made that negative statement, I sinned. And in one heartbeat, 
a demon entered me, and I had a splitting migraine headache with sinus fluid pouring out of both nostrils that quick. Somebody said, I've never seen anybody get sick that quick. That's what a demon can do to you when you sin. If he knows that what you've done is wrong, and he knows you're trying your best to walk in obedience to God's Word, that's when that Ephesians six sixteen fiery dart is sitting right there waiting and when that beast turns that thing loose, if your shield of faith cleared your head, that dart's going to hit you, right? Paul tells us about that fiery dart from the devil. But he said the shield of faith will protect us. Well, what if you let that shield down in doubt? When you let that shield down, he gets you. And that's what he done to me. And I was instantly made sick. The man could not believe. He thought, wow, what happened to you? A river break loose in your head? Well, it did look like it. But I didn't even try to explain it to him because he was not a man of faith. He would have had no idea what I was trying to tell him. So he left, and then I repented. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've sinned. I said, Lord, I know I'm supposed to walk holy before you. I repent. I I don't care what this company does. I know you're going to provide for me, and I don't care what the company does no more. I'm trusting you totally. Now repent. I said, now you devil of hell, come out of me in the name of Jesus. And he didn't come out. A headache still pounding. I mean, that sinus foot still pouring out. So I leave my office in a little while. I rebuke the devil several times. I'm walking through the place now. I said, you devil of hell, come out of me in the name of Jesus. Now, the average person that sees you do that, even Christians, think you've lost it. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from, don't you, man? Yeah. You walk up to somebody and say, what's wrong? You say, well, I sinned a while ago, but I repented. Now I'm driving this devil. You foul devil of hell. Come out of me in the name of Jesus. Whoa. I mean, Thurman, come on. Let me, let me get away from you. You've lost it. Well, I got home and it was the same thing. I mean, you know, my wife at that time, she didn't believe this much either. She thought I'd lost it too. She wanted to give me some medicine. I said, no. It wasn't Cheryl. The Cheryl's, this was my wife before, the one that was killed in the car wreck. But my wife at that time didn't know those spiritual things. And she could not go there. I mean, she was a great lady, loved God, went to church, but she, did, she had never stepped into this realm. And she had a real problem believing that when I'm at home rebuking the devil, commanded him to leave. I mean, she'd make a statement like, come on, you've carried this stuff too far. I mean, you know, you've just got the worst sinus attack you ever had in your life. You need to let me make an appointment for you down at the doctor. You need to go get a shot. Does that sound like the average Christian? Sure but not a faith man. I now know what I've done. I'm driving this devil out. I mean, that fourth morning. I mean, after a couple of days, she just stopped talking to me. And I mean, he's lost it. So she don't say nothing. I mean, but that's, that's a bit... If, if, if you don't know what you're doing, the best thing you can do if you've run into a spiritual... is keep your mouth shut. That's the best thing you can do. Because it, it, you know how people get in more trouble... They get in trouble when they start trying to tell somebody how to do something that they don't know what they're doing. More people try to tell somebody how to do something that don't have a clue what they're doing. And they're telling you how to do something. You may be a professional at what you're doing, and somebody comes in and tries to tell you how to do it. Well, let me tell you, if they don't know how to do it, the best thing they can do is just keep their mouth shut. Because they're going to get in trouble. You know, they're going to, the, the guy that's, or man or woman, whatever, that's doing it, that knows what they're doing, knows you don't know what you're doing. So the best thing to do is keep your mouth shut. And that's what she did. So after not saying anything, finally that fourth morning, I was so violent with the devil. 
I said, you foul spirit of hell. I said, in the name of Jesus, I am not putting up with you anymore. I said, it is written. I said, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus clearly said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt me. I said, Now, you devil of hell, in verse 20 it says, You have to be subject to me. So I said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command this devil of hell to come out of me and go to the pit. And I said, Don't you ever come back. I said, Now, in Jesus' name, Go! And I reached over and hit the dash of my pickup and I was violent. I was not praying for healing. I never prayed for healing. I knew healing belonged to me. I knew Jesus had already done it and given it to me on the cross 2,000 years ago. I knew I'd let a devil in. I knew I'd repented. And I knew I wasn't going to let him stay. He got in. He didn't want to go. He's fighting tooth and nail in there. I mean, every time I'm trying to throw him out, I mean, as, as the power of God is trying to draw him out of me, he's just clawing, he's hanging on. He said, I ain't leaving. But I said, you are leaving, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. When I screamed, go, in the name of Jesus, and hit the dash of my pickup, that last tentacle broke. And that beast left me just like that, and I was instantly healed. My headache was gone. My runny nose was completely dried up. I mean, I had sinus fluid pouring out of both nostrils. My head was dry just like that, instantly, when that demon left. Wow, I sat back in my pickup and I said, Lord, this is awesome. And there was a great big marquee, it looked like, flying through the clouds. It said, Matthew eleven twelve. I had never understood these principles till right there. I said, Lord... I have read that verse a hundred times and I've never understood it till right now. But that verse says, Since the coming of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven, or is the kingdom of heaven since the coming of John the Baptist? It's in you. It's in me. The kingdom of heaven, which is in us, had suffered violence. Well, who do you think we suffer violence from? The devil and his demons. But it said, violent, take it by force. What does that mean? You take the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and you start whacking that devil's head off with a sword, and you start cutting him asunder, you run him through with it, and in a little while he'll finally get all that jabbing he can stand. And when he does, he'll leave. Like the other day, sure was reading me a book about a man that was in, I believe he was in India. And, where? Okay, I can't even pronounce that guy's name. He's in Africa. Anyway, he was an Indian guy in Africa. And he said that he was down there for a week. And he said the first night there was a lady came up that was blind. And when this woman came up, he said, I rebuked the spirit of blindness and commanded her to be healed in the name of Jesus. He said the woman fell under the power of God. I thought, wow. When she gets up, she can see. She got up in a little while. And I said, ma'am, can you see? She said, no, not a thing. Well, he said, I didn't understand. He said, the next night she came up again. I did the same thing. And the same thing happened. And she got up and said, can you see now? She said, no. So every night for seven days in a row, that woman came up. And he rebuked that spirit. She fell under the power of God. And every time she got up, she couldn't see. The seventh night... He said, I don't know what's wrong with this woman. I mean, she, she said, I've done everything I know to do, but nothing's happening. 
But she came up and said, I want to be prayed for again. So he said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And then said, Lord, I command her to be healed. Her eyes to be opened in the name of Jesus. And she fell under the power. She woke up and she opened her eyes. She said, I can see, I can see. He said, she could see perfect. He said, wow, did I not understand this? So he said, on the airplane back home, I'm talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't understand why your word didn't work the first six times. He said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, it did. He said, the demon that had her eyes blinded had seven tentacles wrapped around her eyes. Seven tentacles. He said, every time you rebuked the devil, one of them came off. The second night, the second one came off. The third night, the third one came off. The fourth night, the fourth one came off. The fifth night, the fifth one. The sixth night, the sixth one. And the seventh one, when you rebuked him that seventh night, that was the final one. And when he left, then she could see. He said something was happening every time you spoke my word. Now then, was something happening every time those four days I was rebuking that devil and commanding him to come out of me? Yes, it was. I was tearing him loose piece by piece. Now, Jesus has already healed us on the cross 2,000 years ago. If it was in the atonement, which is what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break, healing was in the atonement, which means it was already paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's done. You've got to get a hold of that. When you get a hold of that, you won't never let the devil make you sick again. Never. Whenever sickness and disease comes upon you, the first thing you will do, you will repent of every sin. You'll make sure you're walking in love. Now, you've got to walk in love. This stuff won't work unless you walk in love. You can't be holding grudges against people. You can't be talking evil about your daughter or your son. You can't be trying to run your children's life. You know, they gotta, you've got to turn them loose. You can't be trying to run everybody's life around you. You've got to walk in love. And if you walk in love, then there will be no strife and none of this unsettledness around you. And when you walk in total love, which is what I'm going to prove to you this afternoon when we come back from the break, if you will do this, then you'll open no doors to the devil. And then when the devil tries to come upon you to do something to you, you'll make sure you have no sin and you'll start driving him out. And it makes no difference if it takes one minute or one hour, or one day, or one week, or one month, when you get a hold of the fact that Jesus has already healed you, once you repent of your sins, you will repent, and you'll start driving that beast out, and you'll stay with it, hammering him with the Word of God, until you get your complete healing. Because Jesus has already paid for your healing on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now then, we're going we're to take our offering right now, right quick. It's 3 o'clock. This is the way we support our ministry so if, if you'd like to give to our ministry, well, Cheryl's going to pass out some envelopes. I don't know, Philip, you might help her uh, to pass out the uh, offering envelopes. If you want a receipt, you know, if you just give a check, you know, that's all we need. If your information is on the check, if you want to give one, the information, we can record it so we can send you a donation receipt at the end of the year. But uh, if you give cash and you want a donation receipt, be sure and get an envelope and then print your name and address and everything so we can uh, give it to you if you want one of these. You know, if you want to give. Uh, Jim, Jim, you got something to say? Oh, okay. Come up here while these people are uh, getting ready and you can give your testimony. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. Uh, this week, the last two weeks, I've been... Uh... Listen to the uh, Knowing Your Enemy. I went through all of those. 
and uh, I had another stack in the door of my car with uh, the crowns, the five crowns. I started listening to those, and uh, I started thinking, I need to get busy. You know, you can listen to this and listen to it and listen to it, and you're going to do something. You're going to take another step. And where am I going to take a step? And I'm an instructor at a mechanic school at night. There's about 1,500 people there, young men. And I said, surely out of those young men, I find somebody that says or somebody needs something done, you know, delivered from something. And I had a break on Wednesday night at 9.30. I went outside and uh, looked, while you was looking at your car, and there's this young man sitting over there on a chair right outside the door. And he had some crutches laying over there, and his leg was all bandaged up like a mummy. And I, I knew him a little bit, and I said, son, what happened to you? And he said, well, we, I guess there's horsing around, and I started getting in the car, and so boy took off with me, you know, trying to do a little stupid stuff, and it kind of run over my leg, and it tore the ligaments in my knee and, and my ankle, and I kind of bandaged up a little bit. And I started, I said, well, are you a Christian? And he said, yeah, I am. And I said, you live, you came from out of town, like a lot of these other guys did? He said, yeah, I did. I said, you been going to church since you've been going up here? And he said, no. I said, you might want to go with me? I said, I go one on Sunday morning, one on Sunday evening. We pray for people who get sick and deliver from demons and things like that. And I said, would you, would you mind, uh, maybe I, you go with me on a Sunday? How about right now? you mind if I pray for your knee? I said, you might go on that for two or three months. And uh, I, maybe you can get that thing taken care of if I pray for you. just because of faith. He said, okay. You know, there was people all around. He said, well, here's my time to step out. I've been looking for somebody to pray for, and there he is. So I just prayed a little simple prayer for him. I said, Jesus, Father, I ask you to heal my brother, take care of his knee, whatever's wrong with it, and his leg and his ankle, you heal it. And uh, I said, and when he gets, I want the boy to get healed real fast so he don't have to deal with this for a long time. And he'll see the power of God flow in his life. And, and, and just amen. And I went, it was like, after a while, I thought I could have said so many more things. I could have beat the head over the, the devil with something. I didn't say all the right things I wanted to say. And I'd go back in. My time to go back to class. And the next morning, I went up there about 8.30. I was working on your car. And I looked outside. And here's this boy standing there with his shoes back on, no crutches. He's standing there outside. I went, well, how about that? Hey, there I go. <laughs> I didn't get to talk to him because I was really busy. And the next morning, I went looking for him. And I went over and said, son, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I said, you don't have crutches and your shoes back on. And he said, oh, it, it, I, he had just a little bit of limb. I said, that's a whole lot better than crutches. He hey. said, you're doing better. He said, I'm doing a whole lot better. Hey. Said, so that made a difference right after that. Said, yeah, right Amen. Praise God. Better better. And I said, well, that's great. He said, well, thanks a lot for praying for me. Amen. Praise said, God. Praise Amen. God. Amen. God did something bang like that. The next day, that boy was up. It was like six or eight hours later, that boy was walking with Amen. Praise the Lord. See, that's what happens when you pray in faith. You need to start doing something in faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless the offering, the gift, and the giver. I ask you to bless them and return to them many times. And because you said give and it shall be given unto you. So, Lord, I thank you for blessing the people as you bless our ministry. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, all of our teaching material is back there uh, for the next 20 minutes or so, 30 minutes. You walk around, and you can get material, and uh, uh, it's all free. Fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, if God was well pleased with Jesus, what was Jesus doing as he walked across the earth? He was saving the lost. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was doing miracles. He was exercising his power and authority over storms, over the winds and the waves. All these things Jesus was doing. Was he not? Sure, he was. Was the Father well pleased with him? Yes. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. A more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Even though they had heard the voice of God, they have a more sure word of prophecy. The written word of the living God is a more sure word than hearing God's audible voice. Isn't that amazing? So if you read it in the Word, it's forever settled in heaven. He has exalted this Word above His name. All His name. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we have that same Holy Ghost today in each one of us. And we have this more sure word of prophecy. Now these statements we're going to read, you've got to realize these are settled in heaven. Forever settled in heaven. You know, they cannot be broken for nobody. So we have this. Now then, let's go after we've seen this. Once we accept the Word of God as the authority, then we must do what the Word of God says. Now that once you accept the Word of God as our authority, and I would hope that as Christians we would repent from our sins of unbelief and say, Lord, I do believe Your Word. I believe Your Word. Because it's written in Your Word, I believe it. Well, Let's go to Romans chapter 12 and let's see what it says we're supposed to do next. Romans 12. Now this is, this is what you have to do to make all Romans chapter 12. Start with verse 1. Romans 12. Let's look here. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now how in the world are we going to find out what the will of God is? We're going to renew our mind with the Word. 
This is where we find out what the will of God is for us. So now that we want to know what the will is, so once you renew your mind, then you must do what these scriptures, i got three sets of scriptures here, 2 Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Let's see what that says. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 5. Now that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So our sufficiency is of God. So we've got to depend on the king. He's the one that's going to do this for us. Uh, Ephesians 4. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22. 4.22 That you put off concerning the former conversation or life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Ephesians chapter 4. You've got to get rid of that old man. You've got to kill this thing the way it thinks. You've got to start thinking like God. If you want to do something, you've got to get to the point where you know that you know that you know If there's anything wrong with you that needs to be healed, you're not going to be waiting on God to heal you. It's already done. As far as He's concerned, He's given you that power. What He's waiting on you and me to do is to drive out the devil with His Word and receive what He's already done for us. It's already done. We'll get to that in just a minute. I think we'll get to that today. I made this little two-page outline last night, and I thought, you know, Lord, two pages of stuff right here, just the Scriptures. I didn't put, pull the Scriptures into them. I thought, hmm, I don't know whether I can teach a four-hour healing school with two pages of notes or not. But we're about halfway down on the first page so far. So we may make it. We may make it. Then Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Colossians 3, 10 and 11. Colossians is one of my favorite books. I'm telling you that book uh, is Colossians 3. <clears throat> Verse 10. And says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, a barbarian, session, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, do also, so also do ye. And above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. You see, to walk in this has some serious requirements, doesn't it? Serious requirements. But if you want to see God do these great and mighty things, and you, this is what you're going to have to do. Now then, we're going to go to some of the promises of God under this new covenant. We're going to go to Psalms 103. And I want to show you, although he made this under the law, it's also for us today. Psalms 103. Psalms 103. Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Now that's the first thing we're supposed to do as children of God. We're supposed to be blessing our King. He is a mighty God. If you don't wake up in the morning blessing the King and, and worshiping Him and thanking Him and telling Him how much you love Him and appreciate Him for this magnificent new covenant that He's given you with all these great and awesome promises, well then you need to repent. You need to start doing it. You need to wake up in the morning praising the King. You need to, when you go to the breakfast table in the morning, the first thing you do, do when you walk up there, get a glass of water or, or tea or coffee or whatever you drink or juice. You say, Lord, thank you for this. Bless this to my body in the name of Jesus. And then if you fix you a pancake or an egg or whatever you do, you should never eat anything without saying, Lord, thank you for this. I ask you to bless this to my physical body in Jesus' name. Because He said... You're not supposed to take anything into your body that you don't bless with thanksgiving. So, a lot of us sin like that. We don't do what He says. But we're supposed to do that. But Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now, the next few verses are His benefit. This is the best benefit package in the world. Think about this. Can you imagine going to work for some company and they say, we got the best benefit package in town. We provide your, we give you an insurance package. You know, we provide you life insurance and we provide you with three days uh, sick leave a year. We provide you with two weeks vacation after the first year. You say, that's okay. You can keep all your benefits. I don't want them. No, that's not what you do, is it? You know what most of us do when they get to tell us the benefits? You say, is that all? Is that all? That's, we're spoiled in America, I'll tell you for sure. But listen to the Lord's benefit package. Verse 3, who forgives all of your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Now, what kind of a benefit is that? Would you say that's pretty awesome? So why don't we believe Him? See, if he said that he forgives all of your iniquities or your sins and heals all of your diseases, why can't we trust him to heal them? And instead of saying, 
Oh, I'm sick and afflicted and I have everything in the world wrong with me. I have a broken arm or a bad back or uh, arthritis. Instead of saying, why don't you say, the Lord, that many are the trials of the righteous, but the Lord delivers me out of them all. So I know, praise God, I'm healed. Because He said in His Word, He forgives all of my iniquities and He heals all of my diseases. So praise God, I'm healed. Somebody walks up to you and says, how are you doing this morning? Praise God, I'm great. Well, you don't look very great this morning. You got a problem here. You got a bruise on your arm there. You got this. And that. I said, I don't go by what I see. I only go by what's written. The Lord said in His Word, He heals all of my diseases. So I'm healed. Praise God. Well, the next day or two, they see and say, Wow, you look great today. Well, I told you, I was healed by the power of God. See? <coughs> it may not happen instantly, but it will happen. All you got to do is stand on the Word. Just like my leg. I had to fight that battle for two or three days, four days, whatever it was. But I knew the king. In fact, the other day when I was laying there on the bed, my foot elevated because my doctor told me, uh, you know, this guy works in the ministry. I don't have a doctor, but he is my doctor now, I guess you might say. He said, Thurman, you need to go home and lay down, put that foot up on a pillow and rest for a couple of days. I said, me? Go home and lay down and put my foot up and rest for a couple of days? I said, good grief, I had never done that. He said, that's what's wrong with you. You need some rest. Your body's retaliating. I said, okay, I'll go home and lay down. So I went home and I laid down and got on top of the cover and I put my foot up on a pillow and I'm laying there and I'm laying there and I'm laying there. Of course, I've got time to think now, see. I'm praising the Lord and I look down at my leg and the devil says, ooh, it looks awful, doesn't it? really looks awful. And I looked down at it again and I said, he said, it really looks awful, doesn't it? And all of a sudden I said, Lord, I sure do need a word from you. I reached over and got my Bible and I dropped it on the bed and I said, Lord, I need a word from you. And let me show you where my Bible opened up. It opened up to Matthew eight seventeen. I mean, this. I want you to see what that promise is. I mean, when my Bible, here I'm having trouble finding it right now, but at that time I dropped my Bible on its back on the bed and it opened to this page and my eyes fell right here. I mean, I had to even look to find it, but my eyes went from Matthew right there and it says in Matthew 8:17 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Himself... Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. I said, Lord, thank you. That's the only word I need. You devil of hell, get out in the name of Jesus. I said, all I need is a word from God. And I got a word right here in the Word. And if Jesus bore my infirmities and bare my sickness and praise God, this body belongs to Him. It don't belong to me. And He's big enough to fix it. So I said, it's done in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. And, of course, you know, wasn't but a couple of days, and I got a little bit of rest, and everything worked out great, and it's all gone away. But Psalms 103, verse 4, after he says he, he forgives all our iniquities and heals all of our diseases, he said, who redeems your life from destruction. In other words, he don't let the devil destroy your life. And he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Doesn't that sound just like a daddy? A loving daddy? 
who satisfies your mouth with good things. Man, he knows how to do that. I never cease to amaze me how God can take all the different pieces of dirt and turn them into so many wonderful things. You know, everything you eat and drink come from dirt. Everything. I mean, you might take some uh, good, really good grape juice. That's the best tasting stuff you've ever seen. And it came right from a seed, come right out of the ground, come up a vine, turned into a little grape and squeezed it and it's juice. But it came out of that dirt. How you can take a black cow to eat green grass and she give white milk and yellow butter is beyond my wildest. But he can do it, can't he? And the milk's good and the butter's good. But it all come from dirt, didn't it? I mean, that cow eat that green grass which come right out of the ground. It's amazing what God can do with dirt. You know, so, I mean, you got to begin to think like God a little bit. I mean, you got to think who this is we're serving. He's our King, our Lord, and our God. And He's given us all this power. Then He says, He's redeemed our life from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Hey, I like that one, don't you? My youth is renewed like the eagle. Somebody say, how old are you? I said, well, I've had nearly 67 years. Not quite, but I'm nearly 67 years. But technically speaking, I'm running somewhere between a, 30, a 20 and a 30-year-old. That's where I love to be. Between a 20 and a 30-year-old. What can I do? Anything I could do when I was 20 or 30. Maybe even a little more. Praise God. It's fun. You know, to be out, to be able to... In fact, you don't know how much trouble they had holding me in the ministry center yesterday. Yesterday, Thursday. Yeah, yesterday was Thursday. No, day before yesterday was Thursday. Day Saturday. We poured an uh, 1,800 square foot slab out behind our ministry center to add on to our building. And I was not allowed to be out there, supposedly. But they couldn't keep me in there. I had to be out there some... But at least I didn't have my boots on. I wasn't out in the middle of it doing everything, but I wish I could have been. But I was out there giving orders to a degree. And I thought, never again. If I can't be fully active, I will never pour any more concrete around my place. Because it don't never happen like you want it, just exactly if you're not there. You know, that's just the way it is. So, anyway, the Lord says He satisfies your youth daily with good things. I know lots of men, you know, that's my age, that couldn't even begin to get out there. I know some men, in fact, when I was 50, I take that back, when I was 55, when I passed 55, I started getting things at my home about these motorized wheelchairs. <laughs> Don't you know that 30% of everybody will need a motorized wheelchair? I throw that sucker in the trash. I said, this, this guy ain't going to never need no motorized wheelchair. I might work on one of them things for somebody one day, but I don't need no motorized wheelchair. I mean, i got two legs that God gave me, and He renews my youth daily like the eagle, so praise the Lord. And then, then, I, then my wife found out why He gave me a wife nine years younger than me. Because she can't keep up with me. I told him if He'd have given me one my age, she'd have been in trouble. But by giving me one nine years younger than me, she can about halfway keep up with me sometimes. As long as she gets a little more sleep than I do, you know. But she knows she can't keep up with me. She said, how do you go so many hours a day with no sleep? I said, by the power of God. How do you do what you do? I said, by the power of God. 
He is my strength. He is my life. He is my everything. What can we do? All things. Philippians 4.13. I can do... So what is it we don't understand about that? Oh, well, you know, that's not what he really meant. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Well, that means that you can do this and this, but not this and this. But that's not what the Word says, was it? I can do all things. So, if it says I can do all things, then I believe He said I can do all things. So, what can I do? Anything I want to do. But I do it in the name of Jesus to bring glory and honor to Him. Now, what did He... If this Word is forever settled in heaven, and this is our authority, and it says Jesus promises to heal all of your diseases under the old law, and we've got a new covenant that's better, and under the new covenant, He said we can lay hands on the sick... Drive out the devil and they'll get well. Are we going to believe him? If we do, we're going to get well. He can't fail. Because Jesus made us the promise. I mean, all you got to do is get the knowledge of the Word in you and realize it's a demon that's doing what he's doing to you. And you have power over that devil. In the name of Jesus, when you realize that beast has no power. None. And as I've taught this to people, and people have got their faith built up mountain high, this is how people has taken the Word of God, and we've driven out devils. In fact, I had a lady, in fact, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll tell you this story in just a minute when I get on down here on this promises of God. After, after Psalm 103, verse 2 and 5, what did, what did the Lord do, promise about your uh, iniquities? How many of them is He going to forgive? How many of your diseases is He going to heal? So how many of you believe that? Everybody? Well, if you do, you're going to get healed. Because He promised it. The King promised it. Can He lie? No, He cannot lie. Okay, James 5. Let's go to James chapter 5 in the New Covenant. Let's look at some more of these promises. Now, I've quoted this verse, or read this verse to some people in the church, and they say, Thurman, I don't believe that. Well, see, that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. They don't believe it. Because look, look what Jesus said in James 5. Let's start with verse 13. James 5.13 Is any among you afflicted? If you're afflicted, what does He say do? Pray. Let Him pray. Is any merry? Let Him sing songs. Praise the King. Glory to God. We ought to go around singing songs, praising the King. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody around should know we're Christians. Just by the words that come out of our mouth. We walk in a place of business, we ought to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, when we, we went to dinner the other day with a bunch of guys, and uh, when I was over there at a conference I was at, and these guys were all from foreign countries, and every meal we went to, we asked them, hey, tell, find out if these waiters are Christians. What? Well, you, you can't do that. Say, sure, you can. You're in America. You can do anything in America. So you ask the guy, if you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven to be with the Lord? Sometimes they'd say no, and sometimes they'd say yes. See? So I'm telling you, we talk to people about Jesus everywhere we go. I lead people to Christ virtually everywhere I go. But what did Jesus tell us to do? As you go, preach the gospel. And anybody that will believe will be saved. And those that won't will be condemned to hell. Do you want them to be condemned to hell? No. So tell them about Jesus. And if you do, then He'll really share His power with you 
And then look at the next verse. Now see, here is a promise or a guarantee from God under the new covenant. Look at this new covenant. Is any sick among you? Now who would that include? Anybody? Well, that couldn't mean anybody because if it did, the church would be using this. They wouldn't be down at the doctor's office. You know, if if it really said what it looks like it says, I mean, instead of running down to the doctor and getting checked out when you don't feel well, the first thing they do is come to the pastor and say, I need to get some of the deacons or the elders together. We need to pray over me. Because look what the Lord says. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Oh, that must mean let him call the doctor. Because that's what we do, isn't it? I mean, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, surely that wouldn't make anybody well, would it? Well, it says, and the prayer of faith. Uh Uh-oh, that's the kicker. The prayer of faith. Who can pray the prayer of faith? Not very many elders that I know. Most of them will put that old faith-destroying phrase, Oh God, if it be your will, will you heal brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? And when they do, don't work. Don't work. If it be your will. What did he say his will was? Let's read it. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. What is the Lord's will for the sick? To save them, for them to be healed. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. No, that must say, maybe it'll save the sick. It couldn't say it will, but it does, doesn't it? I mean, I don't understand what the church doesn't believe about these mighty promises of God. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Is that an awesome promise? I mean, anybody that needs to be healed can be healed with that promise if they believe that, right? All you got to do is believe. Then it says, confess your, verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now, if you got any faults or sins, what do you need to do to them? Confess them, repent, get right. Confess your faults one to another. So, as Christians, we should have no faults. We should have no sins. We should have no unforgiveness. We should be walking holy and in a love relationship with God. And he says, And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual or ongoing fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You pray the prayer of faith, you anoint him with oil, and say it's done. Praise God. The next day you see them, if they're still not healed, you say, praise God in the name of Jesus, you devil of hell, you're going to leave them? They're healed in Jesus' name. And the person that goes out, this is what so many people do. You get prayed over and they walk out and they say, oh God, I know that he said that God made me that guarantee, but I sure hope this prayer works. Oh, y'all see anything wrong with that? Yes, very much. Was there any faith in that? Not a drop. 
Not a drop. You think you're going to get anything from God without faith? Absolutely not. Did he settle his word forever in heaven? Did he exalt his word above his names? Can the scripture be broken? No. If he said it, it's done. But who's got to believe it? You and I do. We've got to believe these promises. Did he guarantee right there in this promise under the new covenant to heal anybody that wants to be healed? He did. But guess what? How many people do you know in your church where you come from go to God and the pastor and the deacons or the elders when they need to be healed instead of going to the doctor? Why do we not do this? Why do we not believe these promises of God? And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. As far as I'm concerned, that is a guarantee from God to heal anybody that will believe that. Do you agree with me? A guarantee. Well, that's another one of the promises under the new covenant. Let's go to uh, Matthew 8, uh, 16. Matthew 8. We'll stay in the New Testament here. Matthew 8. One more time. I'm going to hit this verse because this is such a great verse. Matthew 8, 16. Matthew 8, 16. Matthew 8, 16. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word... And he healed a few of the sick. Oh, I misread that. He healed how many of the sick? All. Do you think Jesus loves us all? You think he wants to heal us all? Yes. Do you think he wants all of us to have faith? Yes. And if we do, he healed all of the sick. And then it said, after that, in verse 17, he did that that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Now think about it. If Jesus took our infirmities, or our sins... And he bear our sicknesses. Does he plan for you to sin? So how many Christians do you know that go out and sin? How many? A lot. You ain't joking. A lot. What do we got? A phone here going off? Or what is that? Okay. Whatever it is. Okay. But anyway, that it might be fulfilled, spoken by Isaiah the prophet, that himself, he took our infirmities and bear our sickness. So if Jesus took your infirmities, He didn't plan for you to sin either. But if He bore your sickness, He didn't plan for you to be sick either, did He? Why in the world would you bear something for someone else and then them bear it also? Does that make sense to you? I mean, I don't think, if I, if I told you, I'm going to go down to the bank and I know you got a thousand dollar note down there. I'm going to go down to the bank and I'm going to pay or redeem that note for you and I'm going to pay that $1,000 off. If I bore that and I paid that price, should you have to go pay it too? 
Absolutely not. I mean, if you were going to go to pay it too, can you imagine how silly the bank people would think you were if you come down there and said, I want to pay on my note. They said, well, Thurman already come by and paid it off for you. They don't owe nothing. Oh, no, 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 I don't believe that. Here's my payment. Well, I'm sorry, but you don't owe anything. No, 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 here's my payment. I don't believe you. I know I've got to make these payments. Well, I mean, if you're so persistent, what can they possibly do? They put it in a bank account for you. But the note's been paid, hasn't it? So you don't owe it. But you keep trying to pay it. And that's exactly what we do with the Word of God. Jesus has already bore our sins and our sickness and disease, and yet we go right along and carry them. Because we don't realize it's a devil. Just like that knot on your arm there, young man. We took Luke 10, 19, and 20 here a while back, and a woman had a knot similar to that on her breast. And I told her, I said, you go home, and when you get home, you read Luke 10, 19, and 20, which clearly says you have all power and authority over the devil. You put your hand on that knot, and you read that version, and you command that devil to get off of you in the name of Jesus. And she did. And the knot instantly disappeared right under her hand. It so startled her, she began to jump up and down screaming, I can't believe this! I can't believe this! I can't believe this! When she said it the third time, the beast came back bigger than he was the first time. Now, does God expect you and me to believe His promises? Yes! I mean, He gives us His power, but He's a faith God. He said, if you draw back from faith, you do not please me. And that's what we do. We draw back from faith. When we speak His Word, and it happens. So anyway, the woman come back to church the next Sunday. And when she did, she told me what she did. And she was so upset with herself. I said, that's okay. You know, I will rebuke the devil and he will go away. So I laid my hands on her shoulders. I commanded that knot on her breast to go away and to never return in Jesus' name. I said, now you just go home and start praising God. It's gone in the name of Jesus. I said, now I don't know how long it will take, but you keep praising God. Next Sunday she come to church. I said, well, is it gone yet? She said, nope, it's still there, but praise God it's gone because it's written in the Word. I said, okay. The next Sunday she come back. I said, is it gone? She said, it's gone. It's not there. So you take authority over these things. And, I mean, even if you have to, just, I mean, get rough with it. Tell it, no, that's from the devil. You know, when you start seeing knots and things on people's bodies and pains, like the other day I had a woman out the ministry center. She was hurting so bad in her side. She'd been involved in witchcraft. And we got all of her sins repented of. And when I reached up and laid my hand on her sides, she was hurting so bad in her side, she couldn't hardly straighten up. And I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. The pain immediately left her side and went down her leg. And whenever it went down her leg, everything in our ministry center, all our computers, all of our tape machines, everything shut down. Cheryl come running in and said, what is going on in here? I said, we're just casting out a few demons. She said, well, we ain't going to start nothing up until you get through in here. And get these demons cast, 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 kicked out of the building because said nothing's working. And so as soon as we got through with her and kicked all the demons out and got her pain out and everything, then we cleansed and purified the place, rebuked every devil of hell, commanded him to leave and turned everything back on and everything worked. The devil. He's the problem. How much power do we have over the devil? 
all. Get that in your spirit. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject to you. Who do the evil spirits have to be subject to? You and me. You drive them out with the word. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. But when you get a hold of that, then when the devil comes to your house, or you get a headache, I mean, the spirit of pain. I don't know how many times I've done this. People come in, even to church or Bible study, and or anywhere on the street, and oh, they got a splitting migraine headache. Oh, my head's killing me today. And I just reach up and grab them by the hair of the head and begin to scream, Come out of him, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. That kind of scares everybody around. But you know, you turn loose of him, he said, What are you doing? I said, Well, I thought you said you had a headache. He said, Wow, I did have a headache. But it's not there now. Now, how much power and authority do we have over the devil? All. So don't let him do this to you. If Jesus bore your pain, according to Isaiah 53, 4, and removed your sickness and disease on the cross 2,000 years ago, he doesn't plan for you to let the devil beat up on you. He came and defeated this beast 2,000 years ago and gave you and me the power to tread on the devil and his demons. So, if a spirit of depression begins to come upon you, people just say, oh, I feel so depressed today. Well, don't be. Take the Word of God and command that spirit of depression to leave in the name of Jesus. Start jumping up and down and praising God because Isaiah 61, 3 says the spirit of praise drives away the spirit of heaviness. Isaiah 61, 3. So, if the spirit of praise drives away the spirit of heaviness, what should you be doing? Praising God anyway. You should never go very long without praising the Lord. I mean, drive down the road to your hands raised, you know. Maybe both of them for a little while. You know, hold the steering wheel with your knee or something, you know. Praise God. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Worship and praise the King. These promises are awesome, aren't they? They're more than awesome. All right, let's go to some other promises. In uh, Matthew 8, 16 and 17, let's go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. Let's go back over to 1 Peter 2. First Peter two. First Peter two. Okay. First Peter two. We're going to start in verse twenty one. First Peter two, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, and twenty four. I want you to listen to this. First Peter two, twenty one. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Okay, if Jesus left you and me an example to follow in his steps, he's going to give us a a detailed description of some of these things he did. But if we're supposed to follow in his steps, did Jesus walk across this earth casting out demons? Did Jesus walk across this earth healing the sick? Did Jesus walk across this earth commanding the storms and the waves? Then if that was an example we're supposed to follow, then why don't we do this? You know, I had a lady that's been listening to our teaching for the last two or three years from Florida. And last year when I had four hurricanes come across her area, she stood in faith 
for the first one she commanded it to go another direction, which it did, and didn't hit very much in her place. And then she began to command these things as they come across to not to do any damage to her property. But she got the power knocked out every time. Well, the time the fourth one got there, she said, my faith was so strong, since my house had taken no damage, and I've been through four hurricanes now, she said, this time I just stood out there in the yard and I throwed my finger up and said, you devil of hell, this time you're not knocking the power off on my entire block. I am tired of you knocking the power out. She said, this time you will not knock the power out on my block in the name of Jesus, and you will not do any damage to my house. She said, when the hurricane cleared, there was a million people without power, but her block had power. Is that awesome or is that awesome? Do you think that woman, she's getting on up in years, but do you think that woman's getting where she believes the Word of God? I mean, that little woman, the devil said, whoa, I better back off from her. We need a few more women like her, don't we? We need a few more women that knows their authority as daughters of the king. They will stand out there and throw their finger in the face of the devil and say, you may be bringing this storm in here, you devil of hell, but you ain't damaging my house and you're not going to knock out the power in my house in Jesus' name. Now then, whenever she sends me a big long email and says, praise God, told me all about it. She said, I went through four hurricanes this year and didn't have a spit of damage to my house and this last one Thurman I didn't even have power loss but yet a million people around me was out of electricity I thought wow what a woman of faith see wow but look what he says here in 1 Peter 2.21 after he gives this example in verse 22 this is another of the things Jesus did who did no sin so how much sin are you and I supposed to have? none who did no sin Neither was guile found or deceit found in his mouth. You have to be very careful how you talk. It's very critical. Then he says, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness and by whose stripes we were healed. Now then, if you walk holy in obedience to God's Word, you walk with no sin, you don't have deceit in your mouth, you don't talk evil about people, you don't even revile them. Even when somebody does something bad for, to you, walks up and punches you in the mouth one day, you don't even tell them, hey, you better stop that, I'm going to knock your block off. You say, that's okay. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm going to turn you over to the Lord. He'll take care of you. He does my light work. Turn them over to Jesus. I mean, is that right? I mean, Jesus can do your light work for you, can't you? He can do your heavy work for you, too. He can take care of you. But what kind of a man or woman does it take when somebody's threatening you to not read them the right back? Ooh, it takes a child of God. It takes a child of God capturing every thought, too, doesn't it? I mean, you've got to be on your toes. Because let me tell you, it's so easy to retaliate. I mean, it's so easy. Wow. Then, let's turn across the page here to Second uh, Peter. And I want you to see something here. Second Peter chapter 1. Listen to this magnificent statement. 
Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. A servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Who's he writing this to? To them that have obtained like precious faith. What kind of faith did Jesus, did Peter have? Did he have any faith? Oh, he had great faith, didn't he? He just walked in his shadow, fell over him. What happened? They got healed. I mean, he said, I don't even need to touch you. Just let me cast my shadow over you. You think he really knew who he was in Christ? I mean, that man knew who he was in Christ. Guarantee it. He said, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Grace and peace be multiplied how? Through the knowledge of God. And if you don't read the Word, you don't have this knowledge. This is the way you're going to get it. Grace and peace, you will be able to walk in great grace and peace after you've learned these promises and who you are. And it's a shame that we can get to so few of them in one day's time. But through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according, in verse 3, according as His divine power has given unto us how many things? All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. How many things has He given you that pertains to life and godliness? How many? All? So that means He didn't cut you short nowhere, did He? He gave you everything. Everything you needed to overcome the devil is there and whereby are given to unto, un, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Under the new covenant, great and precious promises. Wow. That by these great and precious promises you might be partakers of the divine nature of God, having escaped the corruption or the degeneration that is in the world through lust. Is that an awesome statement? Become partakers of God's divine nature? Do you think God's sick? you think God has anything wrong with Him? No. So, these great and precious promises that He's given us, what are some of these great and awesome promises? Well, let's just hit a few of them since we're, wow, so far gone. But let's just hit a couple, maybe two or three, and then we'll call it quits for today. I want you to go to Matthew eight, Matthew chapter eighteen, or Matthew Matthew chapter ten, verse verse one, ten one. Matthew chapter ten, verse one. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Is that an awesome promise? So how do you do that? How do you heal the sick? Do you pray over them? You show me anywhere in here where Jesus prayed over the sick. He didn't pray over the sick. Not one time did Jesus pray over the sick. What did He do? Walk, that's right, walk up to the Word. He said, woman, 
or man, get up and walk. You're healed. Rise and walk. Now, how do you tell us to do the same thing? Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. He didn't pray. We can pray if we want to, but he told them he give his disciples power against unclean spirits to drive them out, to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Then look what verse 7 says. And as you go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely give. What? Freely you have received. Freely give it away. So how do you cast out devils? You speak to them in the name of Jesus. And they go away. How do you heal the sick? You lay your hands on them and say, Be healed in Jesus' name. Isn't that hard? Did Jesus say that? So why should, we, why should any of us as Christians be sick? Why should we have a problem? We shouldn't be, should we? It's amazing, isn't it? That promise right there. And after he's given us that power, turn just a few more pages to the right to Matthew chapter 18. And look at this magnificent promise. Now he said, because of these great and precious promises, we shall become partakers of God's divine nature. So these are some of the great and awesome promises that are under our new covenant, the New Testament. Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, Jesus is speaking. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Is that a pretty awesome, precious promise? What can you get done with that? Anything. So you got a problem of some kind. You can get anybody that will agree with you in prayer, in faith, and you can get it done. What if you got a wart on your hand? Can you get it off with that? Huh? Sure you can. That's like one night, one day I was teaching these things in my Sunday school class, and there was a lady in my class, an older lady, she's a few years older than me, not much. But as I'm teaching these things, she said, you know, Thurman, she said, I've got this great big old black mole right here on my neck that I've had it for years. She said, my necklace rubs on it all the time. She said, I believe if we'll just touch it with, and anoint it with oil and rebuke it and command it to leave, it'll go away. I said, sure it will. I said, you do it. So she's put her finger and the oil, she anointed the oil. She said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I command that mole to fall off of my neck. Eighteen days later, that mole fell off her neck without even a mark. Changed that woman's life forever. But yet, all these mighty promises been in the book for 2,000 years. What did he say two of us could get? Did he really say that? Do you believe that? That's the kicker. Do you believe it? Well, I know Thurman, he might have said that for you or Cheryl, but I'm not sure about me. Okay, then forget it. He won't work for you. If you don't believe it'll work for you, it won't work for you. You have to believe these promises. 
Turn over or turn back to the left there. Matthew chapter 17. And I want to show you an absolute awesome thing. Verse 14. Matthew 17, 14. And they were come to the multitude. There came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he's sore vexed. For oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I besought and I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Now these were the men just a few pages back in verse 10, chapter 10 that had been commissioned to cast out devils, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. But here they can't get it done. There's a problem. This is us. This is the church today. And they could not cure him. Then look at Jesus' answer to those boys. And Jesus answered and said, Oh, you faithless and perverse bunch. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. wonder what he'd say to you and me today, huh? I don't want to hear it, do you? I don't want to hear what the king would have to say to me. I got a feeling he wouldn't be too happy with us, do you? They couldn't cast out this stupid little demon. And Jesus said unto him, and verse 19, first it says, well no, not verse 19, verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil. What did he do? He rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples of Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, not only the demon, but the mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible with you. Now that's a statement from the king of the universe. What's impossible with you? If you can believe. Nothing. But, so what must be wrong with us in the church today? We got unbelief running out our ears. There's something wrong here, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, but when we read it, it's there, isn't it, young lady? The promises of God are there. Then look what he says. Here's his answer. Not only will nothing be impossible with you, he says, How be it, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting? Let me tell you, that must have meant prayer and feasting. Because in the Baptist church... We feast real well, but we don't fast very good. Fast? You want to get somebody's eyeballs caged? You bring a bunch of Baptists? As I was a Baptist, I'll say this about us. You bring a bunch of Christians. I should put it like that, I guess. You bring us together and say, we're going to be here for three days and we're going to pray. And somebody says, who brought the food? Or we didn't bring any food. We only brought a little water. We're going to pray and fast and drink water. Let me tell you, 
if the building's not locked and you're the only one has a key, you're fixing to lose a big portion of your crowd. They ain't staying three days to pray and fast with you. I guarantee. Now, if you've got all kinds of food and all kinds of trimmings and turkey and dressing and all chicken and beef and, and all the good stuff and salads and pies and cakes, I mean, they stay there and just gorge themselves. They ain't going to get much praying done. They get a lot of eating done, a lot of feasting, a lot of talking, but no praying and fasting. You want to know why there's no power in the church today? No praying and fasting. No praying and fasting. See, this is Jesus. This is not me. He said this is why we have no power in the church. No praying and fasting. Let me ask this question while I'm here. How many people in this room at one time or another have fasted at least seven days on just water? How many? Okay, wow. How many have fasted at least 14 days? Praise God. Okay, not very many. But So out of the few that's here, and I'll have to say, the longest period of time I've ever fasted, 18 and a half days. That's the longest I've ever went. Cheryl and I went on one of those. And, of course, we tried to fast and work 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And on the 18th day, the Lord spoke to me. I, I came out to the ministry center to sell a bus to a church that I had. And when I stepped out of my car and I stood up, I couldn't see. And I stood there for a minute, you know, and all of a sudden the world came back together. I said, whoa, Lord, what's wrong with me? And he didn't say anything. But when I started back home, I said, Lord, I'm sure glad that I didn't go out like that while I was driving. might have been a little dangerous if you couldn't see for 30 seconds driving down the road at 60 miles an hour. On the way home, he said, son, today your fast is over. I said, but Lord, we want to go 40 days. He said, no. I told you in Luke 6.40 that no one can go above their master. And said, you're trying to exceed what I asked Jesus to do. said, when I sent Jesus into the wilderness, I sent him into the wilderness to pray and fast. I didn't send him out here in the business world to try to work 16 and 18 hours a day, seven days a week, preach healing schools, preach services on Sunday, preach Bible studies on Tuesday night, and then run and meet everybody's needs all day long, seven days a week. I didn't send him out like that. So he said, today your fast is over. I said, yes, Lord. So I got home that night and I told Cheryl, I said, honey, the fast is over. Nope, 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 we're not quitting. Well, I said, well, okay. You You know, if you guys that have lived with a woman very long, you know when she set her mind, you might as well just forget it. She said her mind. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So that night, we was in bed about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I, all of a sudden, a gnawing come in my stomach. I had not been hungry, but now I am hungry, hungry. I lean up on the side of the bed, stand up. She, she, I guess she wasn't awake. I wasn't asleep because she said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to go to the kitchen. I'm going to make me a cup of hot tea. And I said, I'm going to put honey in it. She said, that'll break the fast. I said, I know it. The Lord told me the fast is over today, so I'm going to obey Him instead of you. (laughs) I'm going to break the fast. 
She said, okay, then if you're going to do it, make me one too. I'll have one too. <laughs> so she got up and she said, well, if the fast is over, I'll just make us a bowl of soup. So she made us a bowl of tomato soup. We sat there. And then the Lord knew what he was doing because three days later we were going to Baltimore. And three days later, Cheryl was still so weak after 18 days of no food, nothing but water, she couldn't even pull her own suitcase on wheels. That's how weak she was. Well, see, the Lord knew what he was doing. I I was pretty strong. I mean, I could have pulled a suitcase before. But after three days of eating, man, I'm I'm back, bounce back, I'm 100%. So I had to carry all the suitcases. (laughs) She couldn't carry hers. But he knew... The fast was over or she wouldn't have made it. Three more days. You know, when a, when a person gets up in the morning and goes and puts a handful of clothes in the washer and has to go lay them out an hour before they can get up and go put another handful in the washer, you're tired. You're, you're tired. And that's where Cheryl was. She had never been on a fast like this and she had, uh, had the, you know, she was going to go. She was going to do it. But we didn't make it. But we did make 18 and a half days. Now, if you don't think that's a lot of fun, you try working 18 and a half days, seven days a week, 18, 16, 18 hours a day with not a bite of food, and you see what kind of shape you're in. It's a little tough, but we did that. So, But every time you do spend time with God, fasting and praying, you will increase your anointing. If it's a three-day fast or a six-day fast or a 10-day fast or 14-day fast, 28, 30, 33, 40, whatever you go, but you should never go past 40. And I don't think you should ever take a 40 unless God tells you. And if he, if he lays it on your heart, do a 40-day fast. Do one. But if he doesn't, that's a long time without food. You'll have to do it in bed. You, know, you will not be able to get up and walk around after about 35 days, 33 to 35 days. I don't know anybody that can go without no food 40 days and still be up walking around. You're home in bed. So you're praying. So don't think you're going to work and get out and do something. I had a woman going to my church that she was going to go on a 40-day fast. And she was going to work. I told her, I said, ma'am, you can't do that. She said, I can do it. I said, ma'am, I'm telling you, you can't make it. Your body is like everybody else's. And you cannot go on a 40-day fast and drink water only and work. So she went to about 20-something days. And with no food. And she was working. And she passed out and fell and hit her head and done some serious damage to her. I told her, I said, ma'am, I told you, you cannot go 40 days without food. You know, no human being can. Your body just, it just wears out. So you need to stay at home. If you're, after, in fact, I would say after, for sure, two weeks, if you're going to fast, if you're going to work, only work the first two weeks and then try to work lightly. And then after that, I can guarantee the next four weeks will be very difficult. If you burned up all the energy you had in the first two weeks of working, and then you try to go four more weeks without nothing, those last four, I guarantee the last two, you will spend in bed. You will spend in bed. You'll be weak as a kitten. So, if you can't spend time praying, then don't do it. If you're so weak you can't pray, you're not accomplishing anything. You're just losing weight. And you lose about a pound a day. But the Lord said, because we don't fast and because we don't pray, that's why we have no power. Now, these promises that He gives us here are absolutely magnificently wonderful. And there's so many of them. And I know that, wow, 
You can just keep on going. I've just barely scratched the surface on the promises of God today. And here it is, ten minutes to five. It's amazing what these promises are and how many of them there are. So, keep reading the Word. Keep renewing your mind daily with the Word. Keep listening to our other CDs and DVDs and teachings, tapes, and you'll continue to learn. I want you to know what God has shown me. I want you to know your power over the enemy. And I want you to know that Jesus healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already a done deal. So anytime anything comes upon your body that's not what you consider a perfect, just like God would be, don't let it come upon you. Rebuke it. Command it to leave in the name of Jesus. A little growth comes upon your body. Immediately capture that thing in the name of Jesus. Out of here. In Jesus' name, you devil of hell. Now I'm walking in obedience to the word. Now then, if you start rebuking it, and a week or two or a month later it hadn't moved, then you better look and say, Hey, God, have I got a sin in my life? Am I doing something that's against your will? Because if I am, then it's not going to move. But whenever you get right with God and make sure every sin's repented of, then you can speak to these things, and they will leave and go away. And you can walk in divine health. And you don't have to be sick. But you will have to take some of this stuff by force with it is written. Because Jesus said you would. The kingdom of heaven, which is in you, has suffered violence from the devil. But the violent takes it by force. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for the beautiful word of God. I thank you for all these mighty promises. I thank you for coming 2,000 years ago and defeating the devil for us and then passing that power off to us, your children, giving us all power over the devil so he cannot hurt us. I thank you, Father, and praise you for the word. Now, I ask you to bless everybody here, everybody that needs healing. Lord, I'm going to rebuke every devil over him. And I'm going to ask you to be merciful to every one of them and restore every one of them. And I know you're going to do it because your word says you will. So I know everybody today is going to be healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.